you know that there is a certain very popular Kirara, probably in the top three of all that we've covered, that people often debate whether it's a show that isn't actually about the thing that it says it's about. Yeah, yeah, that uh, people are talking about Kaon when they say that. That's what people talk about. People talk about Kaon, and I have certain opinions on that. I think it's very true of season two. I really don't think it's true of season one. I think season one's actually very much in depth about that stuff. Uh, maybe not in the same way that something like Bochi is, in like a more visible way where you see their progress, but I do think it's a lot about the act of being in a band and trying to get along with other people and create things together. And I think it, it is broadly pretty good at that. So instead, Mallory, I ask you, what if there was a slice of life show that's about doing art where they never fucking do any art for like eight episodes in the middle? That would be crazy. Are you talking about Hidamari Sketch Season 3? Welcome to this week's episode of Our Fun Things Fun with me, Ranka. And me, Mallory. And this week, we are in fact talking about Hidamari Sketch Season 3 or Hidamari Sketch X3 Stars or Hidamari Sketch X Hoshimitsu. Which I believe um, is how we're going to be calling it for the rest of the episode. I'm going to be real with you. We're probably going to call it season three a lot, but Hoshimitsu is the title <laughs> I like to say in in no other context. Fair enough. Yeah. So this is the third season of Hidamari Sketch. We have talked about the show twice on the podcast before, and Mali has talked about it much more extensively and in depth uh, in, in her own side projects. And... Yes, we haven't really touched upon season three stuff before because I don't think uh, your project ever really got there, right? No, it did not. Um, despite some parts of season three touching on the part of the first year of school for Yuna Miyako that the podcast I was that the side project I was doing would have interacted with, I figured <laughs> I didn't want to do that because it would have been confusing because we hadn't talked about season three yet and then also i fell off anyways so it's all over uh it's literally so over and it's over um but yeah it didn't get to it but here we are now yeah uh and hit sketch season three is it's kind of interesting respect where up until now i i assume if you have listened to this podcast you have either watched at least some of hitamari sketch or know about it or have listened to our episodes about hitamari sketch if you are for some reason starting with no knowledge on our episode about Hidamari Sketch Season 3, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, so... first of all, welcome. <laughs> welcome. That's crazy. Uh, second of all, so up until now, Hidamari Sketch has had, I would say, a fairly iconic um, achronological order to its episodes, where episodes are aired... Because the first two seasons of the show broadly cover the first school year of Yuno Miyako and second year of uh, Hiro and Sae. And broadly, like, season two ends up going a little bit further into that school year because the manga had gotten a bit further along and also to kind of bookend things because the season two also discusses the very start of uh, Yuno's uh, school life at Yamabuki as well. So, in general... Season 3 is a bit different, where, because it's partially because they've actually caught up with the manga, they can't really do the acronological thing as much. And also, I think they just, because this is the point where there is a pretty major sea change for the series, I think they were going to try to tell it a bit more in chronological order just to make it work with the very key fact that it has two new characters. Yes, that's right. Nori and Nazuna. Yeah. Who are, are new to the franchise. Um, so I guess 
I guess in case for some reason you haven't watched or listened to our previous episodes on this, we do need to recap the cast up until now. Uh, so this is from 2010. So I guess in order to fully put you in that mindset, uh, I'll tell you about here I am with my Hidamari gang. Hidamari gang, here they stand. You know, she's on her way. You know, she's an artsy gay. Getting ready to sketch on sight, best friend Miyako by her side. Say, she's really cool. Hero, the beautiful. Amazing. Let's fucking go. Everyone, I want to let you know, this is now like the fourth time Ranga's had to do this, and it's been <laughs> flawless every time. Um, so just like a round of applause. Like, honestly, before we go any further, just full on a round of applause. Thank you. Uh... Also, there's like two other characters in the show. Mallory, why yes, don't you introduce also... them? <laughs> yes, well, welcome to one of our shortest ever uh, cast and crew segments. Uh, Nori is uh, the resident of room 103, and she is uh, an art student going into the first year at Yamabuki High. She is big up on the computer and the internet. She is bringing an internet connection for the first time oh. to Hitamari Apartments. Um, and she's sort of plucky... Um, very honest, and, um, I, you know, she's got, like, I think she's, she occupies a similar space, I would say, between Yuno and Miyako, where she has the naivety and curiosity of Miyako, and she also has the thoughtfulness and, um, like, you know, I would say kind-hearted nature as, uh, Yuno. Mm. Not to say that Miyako is mean by any stretch, but, you know. Uh, Nori is a cool character. Nori is cool. Uh, voiced by Hitomi Harada, who is someone who, like, mostly, honestly, mostly does, like, ecchi series. Um, so this is very out of her wheelhouse, uh, mm-hmm. known as Irie in Idolmaster Cinderella Girls, Mizuki from Bakato Test, for all of the old heads out there, and then, uh, you probably know this one, Asuka from Senran Kagura. I know this one. I, and then I we, know this one. we know this one, Momoka from Valkyrie Drive. Mm. Woo! Um, a Valkyrie Drive Pog, Valkyrie Drive mentioned, etc. Um, if anyone wants to get a screen cap from some scene of Valkyrie Drive where the girl's doing the Yui pose, kinda, that would be awesome. Um, and then our other new character is Nazuna, who is uh, unlike the rest of Hidamari Apartments. She is a student who's local to the area, who's going to Yamabuki High for general education, not arts. And various family circumstances have placed her in um, an independent living situation while her parents are traveling for business or some shit. Uh, and so she is joining the crew as a non-art student. Yeah. And she's voiced by Chiaki Omigawa. The legend. The legend. The one, I think at the time, one of my favorite VAs. Uh, I was quite shocked to learn that she actually voiced Nazuna. I think I must have known way back in the past and then forgotten it for like 10 years. And now... Yeah, I mean, like, I'm thinking about it now and I definitely would have had to mention this when we covered um, Sorimachi because there's no yeah. way that I'm seeing Hidamari sketch on someone's oeuvre <laughs> and not picking it out. But yeah, no, I was listening to this, I was watching the show and I was thinking to myself, ah, I gotta look up who voices Nazuna because she really sounds like Chiaki Omigawa. <laughs> doing a nazuna voice and it turns out it's literally actually chiaki omigawa doing a nazuna voice 
Um, I'm just, I'm just so used to her being like playing so many more like obnoxious characters. It was kind you know, of like surprised. obnoxious and 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 spunky and badass. Dare mm-hmm. I even say? Oh, for sure. Um, known as uh, Hotori from Sorimachi, and probably most notably Maka Albarn from Soul Eater. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Jaki Omigawa. I think she's incredible. She has a kind of naturalistic performance that you just can't fake. And yeah. I kind of wish she just was in more cool stuff, honestly. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, shouts out also to Vanille and other Umphis who are big fans of Dropkick on My Devil, where she plays Minos. Ah. That is a show where a lot of people are making really annoying voices all the time, so she, she does fit in there pretty well. Huge. Huge and important for this. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. And that is kind of all of our new cast. There's also Arisawa-senpai finally appears, or like appears in more detail. Um, and she's voiced by extremely famous veteran voice actress Mai Nakahara, um, whose oeuvre is so big it's hard to pull from. So I picked my three favorites, Ritsuko from Idolmaster, Nagisa from Strawberry Panic, and Nanami from Katanagatari checks out yeah i think i feel like i'm trying to remember because i i saw her i was like i feel like we've seen her before is it possible we've only seen her texts to you know before i believe that is actually what's going on here yeah i'm pretty sure she's not voiced in season two but knowing me i'll probably double check that and insert an editor's note here that's true editor out yeah, and those are is, kind of it for new characters, or is, at least for new voice actors. Yeah, is Mashiro, Mashiro Sensei in season two at all? I, yes, he definitely okay. is. He for sure has like a throwaway role in right. season... I, I'm like so positive on this, I'm not even going to look it up. Fair enough. I believe But it. if it's... I am wrong, I will also put a note <laughs> in here. I did look this up also. It, it, it He does appear in season two in the third special, and he's not credited on ann as appearing but i did look it up and it's true uh, also we've called him mashiro sensei his name is mashiko sensei which is a little counterintuitive because it ends with ko but it's his surname anyways back to the episode editor out again sorry thank you and this time he has uh three different throwaway scenes so good on him yes he's really coming up in the world so I guess that's really all the preamble we need, except to say... Yeah, pretty much. Mallory, I will also what's... say, just briefly, <laughs> the series staff stays largely unchanged from season two, which is interesting, because we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, There's yes. one very major difference, which is the yes. person who's credited as chief director, which, past the point on shows with Shimbo, is the person who's actually doing the direction, uh, mm-hmm. is uh, someone pretty new who does not actually have a lot of major shaft credits to his name. Uh, Ishikura Kenichi. Uh, yes. Don't think he was like a chief director on any other Shaft show, and I think the only one he worked on extensively was the second season of uh, Natsuno Arashi, which is wow, an interesting show. But I've only seen season one. I haven't even seen season two of that, so I cannot comment on. And that's actually interesting because I've never did. seen someone have a series director credit for half of a show before. Yeah. Um. Shafts. Oh, actually, oh. um, you know what else he's actually been uh, d- the chief director of? <laughs> what? Sakura Trick. No, what? Really? He's director, series comp, storyboard for a lot of the show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's actually crazy. <laughs> that's an interesting fact that does not entirely disconnect to certain things that I thought about the show while watching it. Yeah. So, I guess we should say, Mallory... 
What's your pre-existing experience with Hidamari Sketch X Hoshimitsu? Uh, what is the Pope's previous experience with going to church, eh? <laughs> That's so egotistical, I have to leave it in. Um, yeah, no, I mean, like, I've watched um, seasons one and two of Hida Sketch a bajillion times. I have mm-hmm. admittedly, self, self-admission, watched seasons three and four substantially fewer times than seasons one and two. Season one, I've seen like a dozen times. Season two, I've seen probably a bit more than that because I'll pick up an episode at random just w- if someone's seeing it. Um, and then season three and four, I think you kind of really have to be dug in. So I've seen them a lot less. I've probably only seen season four a couple of times. Okay. This is maybe my sixth or seventh watch on season three. Maybe even less than that. Who knows? But yeah, so I've seen maybe less of less. season three <laughs> than the previous Heat of Sketch, but that is a, um, an unfair comparison. That's fair. So I, I will also say, I for the record, I did drop off of the manga around this part where they start uh, changing the asynchronous uh, airing order. Okay. Um, because in my mind, I was like, oh, now they're doing it chronologically. So I sort of did not keep up with the manga into this second school year of Yunos. Mm. So I, I largely have not actually read a lot past this point as far as Umeyaki's original manga goes. Just okay. for clarity and before anyone calls me out on things that I get wrong. So and and before I ask multiple questions about that, just gonna yeah, actually, yeah, nice right now. (laughs) Let's get that in right now. Um, Fair enough. Yep. And uh, Ranka, what about you? What about uh, you? So I have seen Hidari sketch through, except for the final OVAs, through once before. Uh, and I sort of watched over the course of years. I think I started it towards the end. I mean, we've been through this before, but started towards the end of uh, high school. And I think I watched season four. So actually, just I think just come out when I was in uni, or at least just come onto Blu-ray when I was in uni. So that's broadly my experience. So season three, uh, I think I might have watched around the end of when I was in school. And when I watched season three originally, my main thought was, this isn't as good. It's not as good. And at the mm-hmm. time. I had thoughts why, but I wasn't really analyzing it as deeply. Also, Hidori Sketch was a show I tended to watch while I was, like, settling off to sleep or other things. So I, I think at the time I was just like, hmm, this doesn't seem as good, but I'm not really quite sure. And now, with you know, 10 years more experience and many other Kiraz under my belt, and also having me watch the first two Hidori Sketches with a very keen eye and talking to one of the foremost English language experts in the series about it, I'm ready to dig into why Hidori Sketch X Hashimitsu is... Not as good, except for the bits that are as good, but overall, it's not as good. I will, tentatively, before we expand on it, I will totally agree with you. But I think that the overall change that makes it less good is still very interesting, and I I have a couple of things I want to point out about that. I think it's it's really interesting how it changes. I think something that was also quite quite fascinating was... um, Superhead, we aren't just covering Hoshimitsu, I mean, Kimasil, we're also covering Hoshimitsu, uh, Hinamori Sketch XSP, which is not to be confused with the Hoshimitsu specials, which is uh, two episodes that came out in, like, 2012? Uh, late 2011. Late 2011, okay. Late 2011. And this, uh, we're just covering it now because it feels weird to stick it on to the start of Season 4, plus Season 4 will be covering the graduation OVAs. Um, and it is quite interesting when we compare it to season three, even though it's only two episodes, it's a surprisingly telling two episodes, I feel like. Uh, interesting, interesting, okay. 
Uh, just for transparency, I did totally forget about SP. That's my bad. Um, <laughs> I, I did a lot of work to find my good folder again with all the good subtitles, and then I forgot that SP is not listed um, in the right spot in there, and that's on me. Not on the uploaders. They're doing God's work as it is. I have to get this sorted. Uh, anyways, yes. Fair enough. I did uh, watch the Hoshimitsu specials, because those are labeled Hoshimitsu. And those those are possibly things I want to discuss more than SP anyway. So we're all good. We're all good. Um, so yeah, I guess... So we've discussed Hinamari Sketch extensively before. We don't need to really talk about it in terms of like how, how much it means to us or how much we attach to the characters. I think let's just go a bit just into the nitty-gritty straight away with this one, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, there are two new characters. What are your thoughts on these two new characters? So I I think that these two new characters, Nori and Nazuna, are interesting for the show because yeah. they are... Like, we've talked at length, we've talked this to death about how um, in Umeaoki's vision for what the characters in the show represent surrounding Yuno and the Yuno-centric world of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty clear where Sai, Hiro, and Miyako fit in as like a nuclear family unit, like genuinely. Not trying to be mm-hmm. facetious here. Yeah. Um, I think that that really slots in and makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And I think that Nori and Nazuna are interesting additions because they're... I think that they represent the two kinds of uh, of underclassmen or mentees that mm-hmm. you can kind of have, like two very broad stroke groups. Um, there's Nori as someone who is um, very competent and brash and ambitious, and I think challenges Yuno's understanding of where Yuno has grown in her learning up to this point. Like, like, you know, sees Nori and she reflects about how much she's already grown and how other people have it, perhaps despite being younger than her, excelling in different fields already. I think the computer is a good synecdoche for that. The I think the the use of Nori as, as the computer synecdoche is really interesting uh, because broadly the show doesn't break too... So this is the 2010 adaptation of manga chapters that I think are mostly from like 2008, 2009-ish, I believe. Mm-hmm. Haven't super closely checked this. That's and by and large fair, yeah. Technically, the Hidamari sketch is still technically set in 2004 at this point. It isn't really, it plays a bit loosey goosey with it, but and it mostly does not matter. But I think Nori is a really interesting thing where, you know, they, they talk about the IT revolution a lot. And Nori is a really good way of saying, right, this manga has been going on for several years now. And Nori is simultaneously the one-year underclassman, but also four, someone from four years in the future, almost. She kind of connects the series more to the present of this person who does represent technology and the onwards progress of time. And I think it's a really deft way to have a character who exists this to introduce more contemporary elements to the show without necessarily breaking the worldview or having characters suddenly whip out smartphones their own computers or anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, so I like Nori a lot for that, and I think that the flip side of that being Nazuna as, like, uh, a younger sister for Yuno, someone <laughs> who is reflective more of where Yuno was at, like, a year ago, and the insecurities that Yuno felt even just one year ago, and I think that those are two ways where, for Yuno to reflect on how far she's come, and how she can, um, what, what advice would she give to herself one year ago? In this, like, almost as exact same situation. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's an aspect of that to 
Nazana. I think also Nazana is an interesting place where, <laughs> just to be very frank about this, there in the previous seasons there has been the, the rare moments of what we will call the femme time, where Hero and Yuno have a hangout. And yep. in this season, that mostly is now spent between Yuno and Nazana having this sort of like comfy atmosphere. I and mean, to a degree we can see Yuno definitely doesn't see herself as Hero. Like, she doesn't feel that level of confidence or that level of, like, being as immediately put together as Hero has always seemed to her. But at the same time, Nazana definitely sees her like that. Which, oh, definitely, again, it's, yeah. It's it's a really nice way to bring that together. It's one thing I've always really liked about this show is the way they stagger <laughs> in new characters and the way that everyone sort of has, like, a little bit of overlap with each other. Yeah. Is like, this, there's actually one particular episode in this season that goes really in detail about this, episode 9, with um the one that's called uh, first years and third years, mm, that's, and so that's I think one of the best ones. It's a really good episode, but I think what I love about it is you see the episode preview, you think first years and third years. Wow, so Sai and Hiro are gonna hang out with Nazuna and Nori, and then you watch the episode, and and no 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 no, baited. It is about um when Sai and Hiro were the first years, and the third years above them, Misato and Riri. Um. Uh. The two Virgin's Empire characters who just walk into Hitamari Sketch for an episode. Extremely Kishi Torijiro characters, for real, for real. F-R-F-R. Um, interesting note is that uh, Didi is also voiced by Ryoko Shirishi as is Sai, which I thought was very funny. Oh, interesting. I'm kind of bold to just put them in a feature episode like that and just like reuse all of her voice work. Uh, but you can't tell in watching it, so good work. No, it's, um, it's well done. I, I think this episode's great because I think the very previous episode ends on this note of Hiro giving this very supportive senpai talk to Yuno, as historically she is wants to do, and like, you know, something that's very emblematic of the relationship that those two have. Mm-hmm. And then you skip forward immediately to Hiro being a fresh new student in Yamabuki uh, High School and also in Hidamari Apartments. And I think that that episode, you see a lot of Yuno in Younger Hero. Hmm. You see a little I certainly did. I felt that way. Where, like, I, she I... feels... She seems imminently less confident and more sort oh, of shit. amazed with size like, um, accomplishments in the field of art that she doesn't feel like she can measure up to. Yeah, and I think that there's that reflection that makes that gives her that sort of Yuno aura for sure, and just the utter mystification and bewilderment at Misato's uh, way of life and antics. Yes, whereas comparatively, she is moderately well adapted to how Miyako acts. Now that she's a senpai to Miyako. Yeah, I, I yeah, I also like how Misato's uh Misato's character, whatever we see of it, helps contextualize Miyako's character for them as well. Mm. Like, Sai is able to better process Miyako for having known Misato. (laughs) And Misato didn't even call her slurs, as far as we know. (laughs) As far as we know. Not not in the brief screen time that she gets. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so episode 9, I think, also plays off this idea of, like, these generations of, like, you are always someone's underclassman and upperclassman, Mm. and those relationships are very static between that person, but the person that you are is very fluid over time. Yeah. And I think that's that's something I definitely did not really appreciate when I originally watched the show as a teenager, where I could I appreciate parts of it. I definitely could appreciate well, season four, etc. There are things that there as a teenager I could understand and feel a bit wistful about. But I think watching now the whole idea of these sort of like 
people you see as older than you, people see you as younger than you, like the passing down of traditions without really realizing it. it uh, the establishment like of tradition, part, really. Establishment of tradition, yeah, being a key part of being in the academic system and being amongst friends when you're that age is, is really well done. However, okay. I am going to be very artless and just say I don't like Nazana very much. Boo! <laughs> Boo! I, I fucking knew you were going to be an anti-Nazuna hater. So here's the thing, I remember liking her decently when I originally watched the show, but now she's just like... So I have a reason to dislike her that is that you're not going to agree with, but it, it is it does, I think, relate to one of the big issues I had of this season. Okay. Which is... So remember how I mentioned that whole femme time thing? Yeah, huh? Hero gets fucking nothing to do this season. She gets absolutely not. Oh, she she is reduced to being like Sayers hanger on almost the entire time, and it's quite sad. Well, to that extent, I think that in the interest of being feminist, I would say that Sai also gets not a lot to do this season as well. Sai Sai gets a lot more. Sai Sai gets like a decent amount of like half episodes or things that have to do with her. So like she gets the um the really uh cute one where she's out with you know and they have that sort of conversation about like pushing onwards. I would say the flashback episode mostly still focuses around Saya's struggles. We have a Chica episode which is always about Saya to some degree. And also this is the season where we have the most Natsume focus, who is also the same yeah, on. Okay. Yeah, that's um, true. And the Natsume I, special. That's right. Which is a great episode. I really like Natsume. Uh, I I was really surprised because I, I was like, when does Natsume actually become relevant? And it really takes a long time for Natsume's stuff to get dug into, like, at all. Uh, which actually threw me off quite a lot. Because I, I have a friend who's only seen the first two seasons. And I'd always mention Natsume to him. He was like, oh yeah, her. I was like, how can you remember Natsume? She's she's so cool. She's so essential. And then... And it's, it's, no, that that was a memory no. formed by uh, time passing. That was a memory formed by time passing. She really takes yeah, ages yeah. to fucking show up. Her episodes are great. And I think she stands out by being the one reoccurring man- character who is from the manga and appears consistently and has a relationship primarily with someone who isn't Yuno. Yes. Yep. So she is pretty distinct, but yeah, no, she's, she's, not, she's not important. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I was a bit saddened that i felt like all of not the the sort of things that we would normally get to see hero doing were just not really utilized the season i could only see nazana as responsible for this not just because of the character archetype she fulfills but because she speaks so slowly all the time and it's i just I don't she doesn't speak it... slowly as much as she is like insanely high pitched and and stuttering. Okay, well, I think she th- speaks th- almost too fast for her own good. You know, like she stutters too that's, much. That's true. That's true. Like I don't, I don't strongly dislike Nazana, but I, I do think this is one of the things where having you're saying lot... you take more hero over more Nazana. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. But also, I think having watched a lot more Kirara since then. I've sort of come to realize how you can do the shy girl in a way that's like really distinct, really likable. Because we've just got off anime yell, where I think Kotechan is an impl- implementation of this kind of character that's just so much funnier and more interesting. Now, obviously, Kotechan, I think, is the way in which she exists isn't quite the same as Nazuna. I'm not saying if you swapped out a Kotechan character for Nazuna, it would work. No, I think. It's not like that. But it really did feel like I felt compared to how deeply charming every other character is, and Nori, Nori fits right in with the other girls. 
that's never really felt like a, a misstep for me. That's interesting. Um, honestly, I don't really disagree with you too much insofar as I, as, as I imagine many might say, would take more hero over more Nazuna <laughs> most damn days of the week. The only thing I'll really say um, in defense of Nazuna or in defense of Nazuna's place in this season mm-hmm. is that I think that going along with this theme of like the dimensions and the generations of relationships, I think it mm. makes sense like naturally for Yuno to be gravitating herself more towards hanging out with the new Nazuna because she clearly gets something out of having someone to be able to mentor and help and look after in the way that hero has done for her and i think that it makes sense for you know to express like greater independence and confidence in this way Mm. which is not like don't get me wrong i need to see more hero like i i need hero like oxygen but um (laughs) i think it makes sense for yuno's personal character in this season to be more Nazuna focused because she's trying out For new sure. things and she's getting that confidence and she wants to continue passing it along, you know? Yeah, no, I, I think that's that that is all entirely true. I it is just the very it's it's the very shallow thing of when it comes to Hitomo Sketch, you know, me and Malvi are suddenly, yeah, we actually are the Kinder Analysis podcast. We like looking into motifs and themes. But I have that's to go right. to a sudden basic level. I want the girls to be funny. Yeah, be where, where is my friend? Where are my friend? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. Um, it's it's how it is, and I think thematically Nazuna looks great. I just wish she was funnier, and didn't speak so fucking slow, or didn't didn't have such long lines due to the manner in which she speaks. Fine. Um. Yeah, that's fair. Can I say what my biggest thing with like the letdown for me about this season coming off mm-hmm. of one and two, yeah, is simply the way it tends to look. Yes, this is one of the the really big issues with with Hashimitsu. Um, it it's basically a normal show. <laughs> yeah, it's the least visually inventive. You at this point, the cut-ins and the screen tones are so part of the language of the show that they feel substantially less special. I believe they're even used less often anyways, they, for what they it's worth. They definitely are. Uh, and there's a lot of, like, minor little th- gags that are, are missing in the series that actually uh, come up again in... Um... Well, actually, one comes up briefly in the Hosh- uh, the um, second Hashimitsu special, and it, when it comes up, it's kind of it kind of caught me off guard, because I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, the little guy in Yuno's room appears oh yeah in one shot and then after it's like wait but we haven't had a little guy or a little guy adjacent thing for the entirety of the season and it's been really sort of just lacking in that kind of novelty and weirdness and i will say i think there is a certain uptick to this and this uh, you might disagree i do think in terms of simple gag delivery this actually might be the best season of hidden sketch Mm. honestly i don't know about best but it definitely is at least as strong for sure yeah and i think like i think for for all of the show's problems the script remains really strong all throughout the script remains strong um and i think a lot of the gags actually having not having i guess the the classic shaft delay of you know a character walks into the scene and you have that funny pan up their body or the funny over animated them moving in which is cool it's distinct it's shaft but it does sometimes mean that like something that can be like a quick Tsukomi or a funny little line gets exaggerated into something different. 
here, when the jokes come out, they come out fast, and possibly my single favourite Hidamari joke of all time, uh, which is, you know, throwing the rock, is from season three, and it comes in so quickly. And I can yeah. imagine this in season yeah. two, it's this long sequence of her throwing it, this arc through the air, it like slamming the detail crack. Here, she throws the rock, hits this beautiful magical stone, it cracks, and it's just, everyone's just immediately shocked. And it's so fast that it just had me chortling. Even though I knew it was coming, even though it's like my biggest memory of the show, I knew it was coming, it still just caught me off guard with how snappy it was. That's, yeah, I, it's interesting. It's a different kind of great funny gag that we love to see. Um, it's nice to see them from Huda Sketch as well. Huge. Yeah. But um, visually, it is kind of lesser. But to the point where, like, you start noticing when it does start looking cool. Uh, episode 10. Uh, one, yeah. one, again, one of the other best ones. A lot of the good stuff is in the second half of the TV series, I would say. I think... After the Chica episode, there was a sharp uptick in quality. Yeah. Uh, where they, I think it gets it gets visually better for a few different reasons. One is I think they try a bit harder. Episode ten has the the fun premise where Yuna gets locked out of her room and has to stay with every other girl over the course of the week, and it suddenly has all the flourishes again. Uh, all these like neat little bits like at the start um, when I was like it was those things like. You notice it, and you're like, oh, have I missed it throughout the show? But you guys know I've only noticed it because they're doing it now. There's a bit where um, Yoshinoya is hiding in the prep room. Mashiro says, like, oh, hey, head and treats is out here. Can you get out as a fib? And each time we cut from inside, cut from the door of the prep room to the posters on the side, we get two yeah, different posters. Yeah, the posters are different. The different. And it just hasn't been doing that sort of trick throughout the show. And it felt not as much, so no. refreshing to see that back. Yeah. Uh, another thing I liked in episode 10 was when they're doing the little framing device for each new day in a new apartment. Mm. It says orange X yellow or orange X pink or whatever. Yeah. I really like that they put the um, other girl, the, all the girls' symbols are like in pairs. Like yeah. orange and yellow for Yuno and Miyako is citrus. They're both orange and lemon. And then for Nori and Nazuna, it's, um, I believe it's hydrangea for blue and then snowflake for white. And those are both, like, seasonal things. Okay. Those are winter why, and spring, right? Why is size an aubergine? Okay, size is an aubergine <laughs> because um, the eggplant and the peach are both seeded fruits that aren't citrus. Interesting. There you that's, go. That's a deep take. Um, no, I the whole time I was watching, I was like, oh, that's right. And then um, purple and pink is grapes and, and peaches. And then it's an eggplant. And I just felt like an idiot. Uh, and then my thesis falls apart immediately. But I it was, really uh, like this is Miyako chose things. that representative. <laughs> it's the little things. Um, uh, that that episode also has my favorite gag, which is Yoshinoya's extended impassioned speech in the bathroom about running away that from one's... home being valid and, and amazing, especially if you're 32 years old. That one's right. There's that also bit where like she's That's like her greatest they... monologue. It's so good. It's really good, and it actually, I think, does like the the shaft overanalyzed gag quite well. There's the whole bit where everyone else is these really, not even like classic Hidamari wide faces, but like these really shoddily drawn Hidamari wide faces, while she's like extremely animated and gorgeous. And I thought it was just such a good way for her to deliver the speech, and just kept it being funny throughout. They're really good. How do we feel about the general framing device that the opening, like, pre-credits um, intro to every episode is Yoshinoya-centric in, like, scope-cinematic ratio, letterboxing? 
I think that's fun. I I actually think the Yoshinoya stuff this season is. <coughs> I think it's a little bit caricatured, but I do also think it it falls on the good side of the bets that you could caricature about her. Because I think when Yoshinoya is played badly, I she can come off a bit like. I, I feel a bit more bad for her than the series expects, I feel like. But I think here, yeah. you know, she was in her lane. She just kept on getting knocked out of her lane by the people. Yes, And I think they were, they were fun bits. Uh, there's a few different framing mechanics this time, even. Um, mm-hmm. in, in fact, to actually acknowledge... Not much to, uh, I guess well, yes, acknowledging the fact it's now in chronological order, there is a story arc that runs throughout the whole show. Yeah, that's right. The uh, calisthenics story arc. The Taiso gang grows the in Taiso power. Gang. Uh, it's a very cute little bit at the start of each episode. Well, so, there's technically two arcs, and this is thing I did not notice. I was wondering if you could inform me about this, because uh, okay. I decided not to go back and check this. So throughout the show, uh, Yuno starts getting to radio Taiso because, uh, which is like the Japanese classic morning radio exercises, because she feels like, oh, I should probably do this, it probably helps quite a lot. And slowly all the other girls join in one by one as they see her in the morning. Now, they're currently doing this in the garden, where quite early in the series, they plant some tomatoes that by the end of the show are fully grown. And the finale is the beautiful Tomato Feast Festival, which I gotta say... I I needed that so bad. Ooh, I fell off. I needed the tomato festival. The amount of Italian flags in this fucking episode. Oh my god. Oh my my. (laughs) How I'm cooking so good. (laughs) Sorry, Google Gennaro Cantaldo. Um, uh, Yeah, sorry, your question though. Do we get to see the tomatoes growing over the course of the series in the calisthenic scenes? Okay, they they definitely map in real time to the calisthenics, but I think the trick here is they don't actually plant the tomatoes that Until... early in the show. It yeah, takes so uh, it takes like the five? Home Depot trip. Yeah. So they're not in the ground until episode five. But one thing I like, especially is that episode 12 is the tomato feast where they pluck them. And then it goes back in time a little bit for the first special. And you can see the tomatoes in that state of like almost ripe in like a week or so. Mm. and then i think at that point you go oh yeah the tomatoes were always there i also like that they talk about getting the plants and they just don't discuss the tomatoes until it's tomato time because that is how having a tomato plant feels like it's like you can't even like look at it or think about it because the yeah. the temptation to puck to pluck too many green tomatoes is just mm. brutal a fried green tomato does go hard i will stand Fri- by that I, the south I, the I south got can... that one right enjoy sure. a nicely done green tomato because i i also used to grow tomatoes on my mum and there was always that moment like oh the tomatoes are ready are they though but then you don't wait them too long and you don't want to actually like wake up one day and you find the snails have been all over them uh it's, it's a delicate balance mm-hmm. and speaking of delicate balances yes why why is the show actually the bear because all they fucking do is cook for, like, half the show. I'm not gonna lie. When you were talking about, oh, there's an art show where they don't do art anymore, I was like, yeah, they're in the fucking kitchen, baby. They, <laughs> they're doing they culinary are. arts. How to they work bread, cheese, arts. and dough from scratch. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, no, it's it's true. And it's, it's all these things that's really up and down because I like it in theory. I really like it conceptually because what the season, I think, is really invested in is A, it's the comedy, and B, it's invested, I think, in the 
coziness of Hidamariso. Which obviously has always been really key to things. You know, Hidamariso is mentioned as the secret fifth character of Hidamariso Sketch and all that. Well, now but it's the seventh character. It's technically the seventh character. Actually, no, it's, it's still the fifth. There's just the sixth and seventh. <laughs> yeah, so now Nazan has a seventh character. Insult to insult for her. <laughs> um, but the thing about that is, is that I do think it ends up kind of cutting off some of the more interesting aspects of the series where the things that the characters bond over for the most part ends up being food and not art which i think is a little bit of a shame and it also means that hero in particular kind of gets reduced to the food machine i don't think we deep see her do a single piece of art over the course of the show which a, is... no we don't but also i think okay a more half-hearted defense are you ready okay sure sure um I think that there's two really good reasons for why the show takes such a big food focus in this season. Mm-hmm. I think for the one thing, you have Yuno's increased confidence and newfound senpai capability. And I think that this translates over into her being more confident with her schoolwork. Because she does have that early thing where she's talking about solids, shapes, or um, what is it? Information? Like she's speaking her major, right? Yeah. Solids, planes, and... Uh, planes, solids, and information. She's... Argue- she's um, She's really agonizing over her major. This is also one of the big hero moments in this series is when Hero talks with her about like what she picked and why she picked it. Mm-hmm. And then Yuno sort of realizes, you know what? I should just sort of go with my gut. There's no real wrong answer. The world is open to me. And I should stress less about school in general. And then she talks to Miyako. And Miyako goes, oh, yeah, I rolled a die. Uh, and then she goes, oh, I should really stress less about school. And then I think for the <laughs> most part, she just seems more comfortable with her day-to-day schoolwork in a way that is uh, nice for her. And I think that, yeah. you know, we've go down the Maslow's period. The top, the, the base layer is not failing school. And then the second <laughs> base layer is eating really well at home. So I think it just makes sense to go in that progression. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think you're wrong. Like I think it makes a lot of sense as it, you know her her growing in confidence. There is also the bit in the second special when she sees her dad again and the fact that she can now cook on her own is kind of a surprise to her parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's a really, you know, cute little bit of of development there. And, you know, I think food as a form of love in Hidamari is completely a recurring factor i think it it is something that i think informs the the two the series of two main romantic relationships now obviously the hero and saya stuff is really obvious when it comes to the food yes but there's also like a lot of mentions where you know miyako has the wonderful line of um yeah you know you know uh being here is uh, not being here is difficult because it means i can't just follow my foot and nose and find something i want um yeah which is a really, really adorable line. And I, I think it makes it art is a food is key to Hidamari. But it, it just focuses on it a bit too much. And I think it also kind of stands out because I think there's examples of it doing it really well, in that I do think the tomato episode is great. That's the tomato really... episode is such a good culmination of that. Cause the second main reason that I think that the food theming works so well for this season, or is mm-hmm. a is a smart choice in terms of the structural editing. Is because it gives everyone a really good reason to have Nazuna be around despite not being an art student. Mm. And I think maybe this is me reading way too much into it, but I like how it contextualizes um, effort, um, repetition, practice, and creativity for Nazuna as a non-art student. I could see that. I, I could definitely see that. And I mean, I, I do think the... To, again, to be a bit of an Asana hater again, I think yeah. part of the reason why her stuff doesn't work for me is that they do kind of struggle to give her 
a particular thing to do and thus i guess food being the way in which Hubcraft manifests then does make sense i just don't think they really do much with it even still i get you i, um, I am more than happy to agree to disagree on this because a i will i don't dislike nazuna as much as you do mm-hmm. um or i don't have as much issues i like nazuna how i even have her I fucking hair tie in my name i just have a couple issues with it <laughs> um I, I, not my problem, frankly, but I hear you on that, and I don't, I, I don't disagree. And the second thing is, I will never uh, be complaining about a show being more food focused than before. So, That's simple, fair. yeah. Like I hear you, and I actually agree with you. It's just I like those things. <laughs> That's that. That is fair. I, I suppose one thing that I think did marry together the the growth and confidence aspect um, to not necessarily making it about uh, you know you know schoolwork as much is in. SP episode one, uh, where they go to a sculpture exhibition of a real life modern sculpture, uh, which is really fun because obviously it's, none of them are particularly a discipline any of them are too used to. Uh, and I think in previous bits, you know, big bits where you know, you know, sort of approach this with a very sort of like meditative or worshipful sort of approach, like, ah, oh, how can I possibly um, keep up with this. Whereas here, there's this really, really fucking funny bit where they all try to figure out what the name of a sculpture is. Um, oh, and yeah. everyone has different levels of trying to be artsy about it or just being jokey. Uh, and obviously, the name of the sculpture ends up being Metallic Cylinder. You know and Nori are the ones who actually go for the artsiest names. Um, which is, is a quite fun, quite fun little aspect. Um, and it's, it's kind of cute that you've seen you know, I think I think getting a bit more playful in how she approaches art in scenes like that, and I would have loved more bits like that, I guess. Um, like, so I think it's still, you can still have the girls hanging out and not necessarily have to be doing schoolwork, but still, like, tying art as a theme into that. Yeah. Is, is something I think they could have, could have done a little bit more of. Um, and, yeah. Um, and similarly, I think some of the food food stuff kind of starts going in like the to me not so strong direction so the bit where they go to the fucking family restaurant which is i guess anna miller's i i guess because they're wearing the maid outfits um and that bit just feels like this this doesn't really feel like anything it's also a way less cool version of the the girls go out to do a communal activity scenes that we've had in season one and two this one just feels Blander. It's about food again for some reason, but it's also not really about food because it's just a family resu. Uh, it doesn't really have that many good jokes. The main bit is that it has a lot of landlady, which is always awesome. Yeah, uh, so then, I like that part. That was good. But but then I think for that reason, Mallory, you should go and watch uh, SP episode two again. Yeah, that probably. Has, I think some of the best landlady moments. Yeah. In, in the whole video sketch. I do want to say uh, the diner episode is. Fu- or sorry, the diner episode. Um. Uh, side note, I was um, thinking a lot about, because the day before I watched this episode, I had a long conversation with a friend of mine who mm. um, uh, we were walking home at some point and he was asking about like uh, something, something Denny's in Japan. And I went, I explained what a family restaurant is and I was verbatim saying it's not quite like a fast casual steakhouse and it's not quite like a diner, but it appropriates the visuals of a diner from like an era of like the fifties and the eighties that kind of never existed in North America. And then to see the subs call it a diner uh, universally was just very jarring for me. 
I, I'm actually fine with the translation of Fairy Rescue. I don't think it's a bad translation, but I had just been thinking about how the Family Rescue is not quite a diner. Mm. And granted, there's no (laughs) easy way to translate that. I think you you just call it. uh, No, you can't call it anything. You you can't, whatever. Uh, He needs to move past this. No, I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to continue about this bit, because this bit gets also really funny as a Brit, where we don't really have diners, we have cafes, but a caf is too many steps Like, caf is in cafe or cafeteria? Caf. What the hell are you talking about? What's a caf? It's a caf, it's a caf, it's a Is that what English. fucking Witherspoons is? No, that's a pub. That's a that's pub. A that's a pub? They sell that's alcohol there? a gastro pub. Yeah. Wow. I did not know Witherspoons had, had alcohol. Wait, so what's fucking... Then Then what's Greg's? Is Greg's... Because I think of Greg's as being like Greg, Tim Hortons. Greg's is, is Timmy's, yeah. Okay, Greg's is Timmy's. Is that a calf? No. That's Greg's. Okay, what's a calf? So a calf is, is like... So have you, have you had like the, the full English breakfast? I, I, I know what that is. Yeah, it's, it's iconic the other place where you would go to have it. So they're normally open in like daytime hours. You go to them, you have a big like plate of fried food, have some coffee, some tea. They might do milkshakes, whatever. Uh, it rest like in terms of like actual, um, I guess re- menus are actually a little bit similar to Ferry Resus, and I guess diners. Though I've never really been to a proper diner. Okay. Uh, but I, I the think caps and diners so sound the same to me. Yeah, I I broadly refer to caps as diners when I'm talking to Americans. Okay, gotcha. I've never Americans. heard the term calf before. That's a fun one. That's a new one. Nice. <laughs> anyway, um. But back to Hidamari's sketch. Yeah, three. sorry. Um, the other thing I like about that special is that uh, in the same way that they are uh, LARPing as normal high schoolers as like a funny bit yes. for them, I also felt as if the entire season was LARPing as a normal slice of life show. So I thought that was oh. a funny parallel that uh, stuck in my head a little bit. That's that's interesting. I, I don't think that was intentional. It's, it's not intentional, I don't think, but it, I, I, it was something I thought about a lot, actually. <laughs> Um, and then um, Oyasan is sexy. The Miyako pregnancy jokes are crazy, and Nazuna ordering great. baby food is also crazy. <laughs> and then finally, it ends with the Natsume backstory. So, in my opinion, perfect special episode. Uh, would not change a damn thing. The the Natsume special is is really good. She's in the fucking super cup dimension until she talks to Sai once, and then she gets her God. her life fucking ruined. Yeah, uh, like, uh, name a woman drawn by Ume Aoki who's been more punished than Natsume. You can include the entire <laughs> cast of Madoka and you still won't even get close. <laughs> you can combine them and you even fucking get close. Yes, that's All the right. fucking bits where, like, Hero is just really nice to Natsume are just so... Well, there's also the really, like, I, w- I would call it a famous shot, even though it's only famous to, like, me and a handful of my friends. Mm-hmm. Where it's, um, the street corner and the the mirror for the corners... Is above uh, Hero, and it reflects her into the mirror, and then there's an arrow for the mirror pointing up saying, Caution. And that's when Hero's inviting Natsume to the barbecue. Yes! That shot yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. crazy good. Oh, that one is so... That, that one shot is... gives me an ulcer. It's so good. It's so... Oh, the Natsume stuff is... It's so brief, but it is so... There's a reason why, if you have seen it, as brief as it is in the show, it just immediately fucking sticks with you. Yeah. Like, oh, I used, I used to have a, a friend who uh, I who would ask me for prompts to write uh, their Natsume Cyphex. Because crazy. Like, this is crazy. Uh, I will say, uh, to say I, I, I want to weigh in with you about, because this is actually one reason why I thought you might not have as many things to think about Season 3, is there's not as many really nice Hiro and Saya moments. There's not. 
but there are some some ones that feel very like plot relevant in a way that is sweet like mm. the theme of the episode touches on it in a way that isn't just like a nice little background texture yeah like sai and, and you know going to the cafe and then sai coming home and getting her little baby doll coffee double double yeah that was um cute. that's th- the moments like that that there are feel more uh forefronted in the episode mm. they're in so you're right there's definitely less of it but i think also there's less of all of the stuff between all the classic pairings in general because you have the new cast to introduce and i would honestly chalk up the first half of this season being weaker just because they're introducing new people into an ecosystem that's so tight-knit though it's it's really interesting because i i think there was a degree to there was almost a realism of we've got these new people in but they aren't really interacting with the old people because they don't actually know them that well yet and i think in a way it makes more sense that they have this kind of gradual integration rather than a now they are suddenly good friends of the main characters yeah I think it, makes, it feels realer for sure it feels realer but it doesn't mean you get like six episodes of like oh no, there's like three episodes of being like are nazo and nori gonna be in this episode for like more than five minutes uh, and like no, <laughs> no. Eventually, again, I think I guess it's the the Home Depot episode is the really big big changeover, and it does have the the very strong bit where you know's like ah, uh, you know I've I, I've I've read Sugar Chara, you know how I should try and encourage my female friends, which is the fucking stretch arm, strong arm. Um. Yeah, the stretch is... the stretch arm is so good, <laughs> so funny of a drawing. Uh, yeah. I have one more big thing to talk about. Um, sort okay. of a similar parallel to the joke about them LARPing as high schoolers and then the show LARPing okay. as a normal Kirara. Yeah. Um, I feel like some of the biggest visual innovations, I think is maybe mm. the wrong word, but the things that are different about the direction in this season from seasons one and two that feel novel and new for the series, mm-hmm. I think have a lot to do with the introduction of more... Um, digital stuff into Hidamari apartments. Interesting. Because I think a lot of the interesting shots come from like screens and like digital like a, a lot of the more memorable interesting shots in this season feel to me like they're coming from screens in a way that the show That's... has not dwelled on before. Curious. So does this tie into your thoughts about the letterboxed um... It actually doesn't. I just think that those are a cool, funny thing to do to make uh, Yoshinoya's life seem more dramatic than it is. Which I think, I think that that makes the letterboxing to me is how Yoshinoya views her beautiful protagonist life. Fair enough. Um, No, this is more like different stuff where, um, the end of the first couple episodes, how they do, or the end of some of the episodes, they do like the photo board uh, push pin little montage in the dying Mm. seconds of the episode. Yeah. And that feels like, oh, we're tying them into the existing flow of the show, the existing visual language of season two. Um, and then I think as Nori and Nazuna come into the show more, you have stuff where you're like really looking at screens. Like I think like the the text UI that we're used to from seasons one and two is still there. But there's yeah. a lot more shots that are very particular. And I'm just looking at my notes right now to find more specific uh, examples please do um when chica visits and they're looking at the phone and you get just way more detail of the phone ui and the menu than you would have mm. before and she's Definitely. looking for the photo you're seeing like the gallery and the and it's the entire screen for like a good while and i think that those are interesting cuts 
There's a lot of stuff, obviously, when they use the computer at Nori's, where you're like, the entire screen is just filling the full frame of the camera. Yeah. And I think that that's, those are fun. First of all, those are crazy nostalgic to look at now because they're oh. like t- almost 20 year old computers <laughs> that I remember using when I was like 10 years old. So those are entertaining for a totally different reason. Those, actually, just to briefly talk about the, the use of technology, just briefly, not to not, not trap your point, but uh, one, yeah, it's kind of interesting how even at the point these episodes aired, these would have been slightly out of date computer Oh, totally. Setups, for sure. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Uh, also, I think one of my favorite, um, I guess, more art-specific jokes in the show, which I thought was really fucking good, is the bit where... Miyako is freaking out about uh, the computer graphics, and it's like, ah, oh, SGI! And like, you mean Sugoi, right? But also, SGI, reference to Silicon Graphics, and that, like, graphical oh. standard of, like, being the high point of CG in the early 2000s. So I thought it was a really fun That's funny cut art joke. That is that a good like, one. Oh, I like this one. Um... And so another thing, I think like the show is showing more digital technology in greater mm-hmm. detail and fidelity and with more love and care. I think they're also showing that the art can still reflect through these digital modes. And this is like new for, you know, especially as someone who's grappling with her understanding of art to begin with, to be shown these brand yeah. new modes of expression is like, at com- you know, it's compiling her interest. I'm just going to link you this screenshot where they have that shot with the tomato harvest and they... <laughs> This is a famous gif of Tumblr for people who have not seen this show, but think it's very funny with no context where they're taking photos of each other on their flip Mm. phones and the camera pulls up and it turns Miyako from normal proportion to the classic widehead chibi. And then the tomato in the background gets like a painterly quality to it. And it doesn't look like pixels and I don't think it's supposed to. I think it's just reflecting like, you know, the photo through the phone is art in a way that you know is starting to appreciate that's fair and i think these these are definitely i think things that are, are that there's still a lot of little subtleties in the show but say it's like oh man i wish they'd done something more with this no you're right but here's the other thing i think that you can see more actual use of digital technique in the animation than in the previous okay. two seasons there's something in particular about a lot of the gradient work on like their hair and eye highlights that looks really like like early digital in a way that's yeah jarring like the white compared to shine one and two. they have that almost looks yes. like a yes. like, like air what would you call it um airbrush airbrush yeah airbrush tool stuff it looks kind of crazy but i think that like little touches like that make me think were they genuinely using more digital original techniques in this season and as these things feel connected hmm. in a not in a not meaningless way to me that's that's interesting. I mean, I would say the original Hidemori sketch is already still completely a product of what you could do with digital anime. It is. To, uh, it is It is in terms of how you but, make it, but in terms of how it ends up looking, I think that there's more digital um, result in season three. Like, like season one and two is all about the collage of the real, right? Yeah. It's like anti-digital. It's like analog animation. It's collage. Yeah. And yeah, those but, techniques are not possible without digital, like, systems but they don't Mm -hmm. look they're they're not like um i don't know how to say this they're not like digital formalism in the way that season three kind of looks to me i i kind of see you mean i 
I, I suppose what I'm also imagining now, and this is not what I expect the show to be, but now I'm imagining the, the Hidori sketch looks a bit like a Gohan show, and I'm kind of fucking like, loving it. Like, this season three looks kind of like a Gohan show for there are, Shaft. There are aspects. You know? yeah. yeah, I'd say That's things what like I'm the, saying, though. the hair highlights. Yeah. Um, it doesn't use CG enough to be a Gohan show, though. That's, it doesn't. It should have more CG, but there are CG pans around the building. That happens a lot. Intentionality or not, it's the lens by which I view season three. I don't think it's I don't think it's entirely accurate. Like I do think there is a different visual style that comes through. Uh I have a much less uh, unfortunately this is now a more negative thing to say again. Mm-hmm. I like how we just but, can't bear to say anything bad about Hiromaya's sketch. Yeah. Or at least we um, have to like couch it, whereas in another show we would simply talk about it. <laughs> yeah, well I think a lot of this is also comparative. And there is something that yeah. really stood out to me. And at first I was like, huh, did I misremember this? But I went back and looked, and then also in SP, I was like Oh yeah, no, they did change this. For some reason, in this season, all the bath water is translucent. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is Rather true. than being opaque, and it's a really weird effect because everyone has uh, mannequin bodies. Yep. And it just looks really odd, and I don't know why they decided to go for it because uh, SP, which uh, was actually actually directed for real, apparently by Akiyuki Shinbo, then goes back to the opaque bath water. So. I guess Weird. it was just, like, something they thought. And I would say overall, you know, Ume is famously a woman who likes drawing kind of edgy stuff. And that comes through into Hidori Sketch. Season 3 ha- generally has less of that, which makes the bathwater change. I can always see what the idea was, but by removing this aspect of obscuring it, it makes it almost more desexualized. But it it just doesn't look very good and just feels weird. <laughs> uh, to break with tradition, especially. especially. Break with tradition in such a notable way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it stood out to me. Uh, thought it was a, a bit strange, but again, doesn't really affect anything. But it's, it's just like, as you say, it, just the way Hidemaru Sketch Season 3 doesn't really... F- it still feels like Hidemaru. I'm not saying anything ridiculous. Like, oh, it does, it's not actually real Hidemaru, but it does feel like... This is this is the post this is a post chaos world. I'll put it like that. I think what the expectation is for a slice of life show has already shifted radically in the three years since Hidamari Sketch came out, and Hoshimitsu reflects that. And I think in many respects I liked it more when it didn't reflect that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'm sounding pretty negative, but it is partially because it's Hidari Sketch, like even its even its worst days are still better than a majority of what we've watched, but it does stop putting it into competition with other things we've watched. While season yeah, it's, one, because it, it's season been one influencing is, the field, you know. Yeah, season well, season one is incomparable to anything else we've watched. Season two is more comparable, but does things in such a special way, in such a detailed and heartfelt way that it still stands apart, and it still has crazy visuals. This one. You know, at the end of the day, what's the difference between how this looks and how Achikochi looks? No, I didn't actually mean that. Don't, wow, don't cover me. Snipers, crazy. no, go away. No, the bait no. was okay. too weak. <laughs> um, okay, but no joke aside, I guess it's like, I now have to start comparing it to Anime Yell and Stella Nomaho and stuff that's a bit more conventional, and I don't think it quite holds up to those in terms of being a more standard uh, so Stella Maho is actually Stella Maho is more comparable to Hidemaru Season 2 uh, yeah, but yeah Animal yeah. Yell for sure or 
Or I guess something that I like a bit more than you, Haniyamata. I I would probably take Haniyamata over Hoshimitsu. Um, Damn. Which is not an opinion I actually agree with. Uh, and to be fair, this is partially thinking about the first half. The second half is generally... It's all pretty pretty solid once we get there. Oh, uh, yeah. I think Flashback's great. The Brick episode's great. The Instant episode's great. Tomorrow episode's great. The You Know Sleeps at Everyone's House episode is great. Uh, episode 8... Um, I have I have a a bit that's gonna be a regular bit for the Hidemar episodes that I'm gonna do, but uh, Mallory, is there any best funnies or best anything else's you'd like to do first? I mean, gosh, there's so much best of 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 many. Um, <laughs> um, best recipe: tomato okay. granita. I was very mm. impressed. Good pull, and it would have been my choice as well. That or a galette or tart of some sort, I think would have been amazing. But I think it's easier to go savory on a tart. So the the granita is a great move. Um, here's a couple little um, Easter eggs uh, on Nori's uh, desktop. Uh, on on the desktop on Nori's computer, you can see um, Apricot Editor. For those oh. who don't know, Apricot is Ume uh, Sensei's uh, Dojin Circle handle, and so that I imagine that to be the program she would literally have used to draw <laughs> crazy ass <laughs> statements about the women of Attack on Titan and others. <laughs> Um, yeah. other things, oh. <laughs> other things of note, I think it's, cr- I think the animal list that, um, Sai and Chika, sorry, that, that Chika and Nori and Nazuna have brainstormed when they went to the pond. Awesome. So cute. Uh, it's Hiro so is the swallow cause she's cute. feeding her babies. Yuno is the hamster cause she's diligent and a hard worker. Miyako is the free spirited cat. And Sai is the gecko that protects the house, <laughs> which is so funny. Oh no, my God. the the animalkins were so. As as someone who's a strong appreciator of well placed animalkins, I thought it was a really fun way to go about it. it was honestly huge. They were they were so so good looking. Um, this is a joke that I wrote. Are you ready to hear it? Okay. Um, that entire opening to episode five where the principal's talking about eating damn food that's good for you. And then Hiro is uh, talking about I should not be doing all that. It reminded me of the video going around Twitter where that uh, woman is talking about, like, listen here, if you want to pass, if you want to serve cunt, you need to eat salmon steaks. You need to eat food. You need to go to the food bank. I went to the food bank and I got chicken thighs and I marinated them. And then it's just two minutes of talking about recipes she's made with no other context. But, like, the principle is right. Transgender needs to eat food. Um, so that's the joke that I wrote that I was thinking about that whole episode. Um, as far as funniest jokes, we talked about the two big ones where it's Yoshinoya's impassioned speech and then the rock sequence is so fucking funny. Uh, I was, uh, crying laughing whenever Miyako was wearing a fucking polo shirt in the second half of this season. So many polo shirts. Lots of polo shirts in this season. Incredible golfer looks, uh, from most of the cast, honestly. Like, just unbelievable. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of a lot of the outfits this season. Yeah, great fashion. Amazing fashion here. Insanely strong ones, but, like, above, in general, I think they were, like, pretty high tier. The, the Hidemari outfit's just so nice, and there's always a new one every episode. It's crazy. It's awesome. And that's one thing that I thought was funny about, like, um, the realization when they go to the family restaurant, and they're like, oh, we're gonna wear our outfits, and you're like, oh, yeah, in every other show, they're fucking wearing their outfits when they do this shit. And then in Hida Sketch, they're just always wearing something beautiful and new. Yeah, um, it's funny. Like... Or, or something, uh, honestly, pretty ugly and new. Like, Sai has some classic, like, 
frumpy ren fair sort of vest stuff going on as well but when she gets the polo time it looks fucking great all this polo on me i've got horsepower that's right um okay i think i'm about done on my notes for like just funny funny gags here and there we'll probably pick out some in uh the mailbag which is a decent sized i yeah i guess i have have a couple other stuff what are you cooking on um i really like um the bit where this is a very small one and it doesn't really translate well but i I really worked for me uh the bit where you know is looking at all the things that uh yoshinoya has laid out for their uh sketching thing and then immediately like reads it as um being a binkan no sweetheart or like like a girl with a sensitive heart oh my god um and it's like oh god she understands yoshinoya now i don't know see that just the delivery of that bit is so so fast and good and my personal favorite so good that i i i was very deeply inspired with it is hamburger dice is a top the hamburger like, dice was really good it's so fucking good i don't know it's it's just as a big miyako fan that's just such a iconic miyako moment but you know what's also iconic mallory what is also iconic you know Mia. That's right. I'm about to list my 16 top You know Mia moments from each episode of Hidori Sketch. <laughs> okay, let's go through these quickly. Episode one: the bit where Miyako understands the secret of how You know's exes work and how they change size depending on her feelings. Episode two: uh, okay, this is the bit where he goes to the salon, which is really good, and the bit where like You know calls her pretty and Miyako just looks genuinely caught off guard for once was oh, it was so cute. Uh, episode three: this is where I have to start reaching a tiny bit um there's the bit where they like they laugh together for being praised for being good senpais i i don't know that has the bit though where hero has a nice dream about say so yes you know, that's right that that's one's right. good um okay episode four it's like at first i was like i was thinking about this i was like okay it's the bit where they do like the radio taiso together and miyako comes out to meet you know that bit's cute but there's the bit where they're in fucking home depot and then they like put bridal veils over each other and i just like missed that the first time through. that was crazy uh, that one was crazy that one that one's really good episode five um the bit where uh, Miyako's like, oh, you know, you always look so happy when you're enjoying a good meal. Which is good. It ties into the cooking theme. It's a yep, thing that doesn't really yep. reflect on as much. And it was nice to see Miyako express that towards you know. That was really fun. Yeah. Episode six. Um, this one had actually them doing art stuff. And the art stuff actually always leads to quite a lot of the you know and Miyako moments. Which actually might be one of the reasons I'm bitter about this not having as much art stuff. But yeah. the bit where they're uh, sketching uh, back-to-back... Um, in the flower garden and you know keeps on trying to look over her shoulder because she can't look away from miyako's art there's also like three different you know miyako cuddling eye catches in the episode so pretty good um episode seven this is the chica episode i was kind of reaching for this one but they do the pin board with all the pictures and in the final picture everyone else is mostly just standing around or like gathered around chica but for some reason you know and miyako are off to the side doing like the trust fall thing um which i didn't really get why but it was really cute yeah. Episode eight. Um, in my notes, I have this as just an entire episode of best you know Mia moments. This one also has a very good small uh, Saiyan hero bit when uh, Saiyan grabs hero to. I forget why, but it's good. Um, but this also has the amazing bit where Miyako and Yuno get very caught up on trying to have uh, the canteen's Chinese food because they're convinced they've got real crab there and not obviously imitation crab. Yeah. Uh, which is a really good gag that they keep quite subtle and never fully explain, but it's really good once it uh, comes in. Uh, it was really cute seeing them be like an idiot couple again because they didn't get as much of that this season. Um, 
but there's there's just a lot of, of strong bits here. Uh, also, this is a bit I don't really like um, sometimes, but the bit in the end of episode preview where Yuno says, I want to be a mummy, and then Miyako the Mi goes, I want to be a daddy. Was... Yeah, that, that, that did get <laughs> me. This show uses it so infrequently that they get to pull it off. And Amiyako is kind of daddy, so it makes sense. Well. Uh, episode 9, again, this was, uh, has passed the flashback bit. Oh, bit in the flashback I wanted to mention that I thought was an example of where they still have some of those really subtle, strong character moments. Uh, again, like the uh, reflection of Hero in the Mirror, is the bit where uh, Misato is acting, asking Hero for... Um, character fluid and is like jogging on the spot while Hero very placidly reaches over and gives it to her and then as soon as it's given and the door's shut Misato just starts walking normally again yeah she's and like, like insane and she's all facade I love it it's so facade I, that's a really interesting bit of character work to her that was was neat uh, I didn't again, pick up on that that's a really good call it adds to the to the video Masato's seeming like they're uh, kishi Taijo characters. Um, yeah. But yeah, this was another in the present day part of this episode was another art section uh, and uh, the bit where Yuno gets really excited to see Miyako's panties. A classic Ume moment, pretty strong. Crazy. Episode ten, the bit where Yuno stays at everyone's place is duh, obviously. But obviously. It does also have the bit where uh, Miyako leaps onto Yuno's balcony to get her panties. Crazy. Uh, the love. Pretty crazy. Uh, episode 11, uh, this one has a lot of Yuno and Miyako hanging out uh, when they go and see uh, Nori, uh, Nori's computer, but not that much actual stuff between them. Um, although it does have the bit where Miyako uh, sees how Yuno suddenly so get worried about the others graduating and then just like silently is looking over her without saying anything that I think was quite sweet. Um, also a lot of, of cute body language in that one. Episode 12 actually didn't have much because it was everyone hanging out, but it was cute. Um, and I also like whenever Miyako refers to, you know, using mask phrases, like when she calls her senor. It's oyabun in the Japanese, but that's still a mask phrase, so that was fun. Um, Hoshimitsu special one. Uh, so building off the mummy and daddy bit, uh, the best you know Mia moment is the bit where Miyako pretends to be pregnant. Uh, oh, special that two. was crazy. <laughs> Uh, best one is, uh, there actually really isn't one, but that's fine, because Natsume was, was lifting that one up for the episode. Oh, no, that episode has the, uh, Miyako saying how her nose misses Yuno, actually. So there's that one. SP, episode one! Um, the bit where Yuno falls asleep, uh, the sleepover, and then Miyako just, like, goes behind her and starts holding her. Uh, is great. Uh, the ending theme to SP is also really adorable. Possibly one of the, probably the cutest ending sequence out of all of them. Uh, and finally, uh, season two, uh, a special two, uh, sorry, SP episode two uh-huh. has the bit where they call back to the classic uh, feeding Miyako bread bit where Yuno makes her some uh, ham and egg on toast. And oh, Miyako, yeah. of course, eats the entire fucking hand. So yep. there we go. Um, all 16 all best Yuno Mia moments of the season. Oh, that's okay. amazing. Good work. Amazing work. Good work. Good work. Good work. Good work. Um, all right. Mailbag. <laughs> Yes, mailbag. Okay, see you in a bit. <laughs> see you in a bit.
And we're back from our break. Thank you all for enjoying between 60 and 90 seconds of lovely background music. <laughs> uh, before we get into the mailbag, we usually do, of course, the shipping section. However, this being our third time around the block here, you guys know what's up. Mm-hmm. I will instead use this time to briefly mention that the Yuno and Arisawa stuff is surprisingly, surprisingly potent to me in particular. There's something about the episode with the flashback where she meets Arisawa for the first time. And I think also the way that plays into the first year, third year thing that some other episodes in the show is doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like how she picks up her phone and goes, oh my god, her voice is beautiful. And she goes there and lets herself get drawn for like three hours. And then her friends are like, hey, are you good? You're like across (laughs) the street, right? I don't know. That shit just seems like fertile ground for fan fiction. So. If anyone knows if anyone's written any good ones, let me know, I guess. I, but yeah, other than that... I mean, it does, right d- does continue the trend of, of you know, having a older woman who she briefly falls desperately head over heels for for an episode. Yes, uh, instead of Kishi-san, it is someone more in her range. Yeah. Uh, I was just saying in terms of other things that actually involve the pre-existing cast, uh, I think some of the Saya you know moments this season are pretty good. I mean, I mostly read them as just like Saya being her senpai, but I think I could understand a Saya you know shipper. Uh, and similarly, the bits in SP episode 2 with Landlady and Sae are pretty good. That does uh, sound good. Okay. I gotta watch the SPs again. Fuck. Pretty strong. All right. All right. I'm done. Okay. It's time for Ba, the mailbag. Thank you to everyone who bah. writes in on our Twitter account at FunThingsFunPod. Um, and I guess at some point in the future on Tumblr. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Um, let's get kicking here. Starting let's off go. with three questions. From Ooh. Max at MLCBBY. Hello, Max. Okay, bye, bye. <laughs> hey, Rocket, you good? I'm good. Okay. Um, first question from Milky Baby. Question one: What's your guess for the contents of Nori's sealed past folder? That was um, kind of interesting, actually, because we don't really get much indication what that could be. Yeah. My brain is just saying. Obviously, it's fanfic. She wrote. Yeah, or maybe maybe it's like she tried to be like an early hacktivist or something. I think something that's interesting about Nori's character that is implied very mildly mm-hmm. is that because she has that thick Kansai accent and she's, I, I think, with the exception of Miyako, she's like the furthest traveled in to mm. Yamabuki yeah. High out of all everyone in, in the um, the apartments. And I think you get this implication that like, she has a she has like a, a connection of online friends that like other girls don't because they don't use the damn computer. Yeah, and so I think in some ways Nori is probably closest in uh, manner and behavior to any one of us recording or listening to this podcast <laughs> as people who be online. Yeah, fair I enough. think that that's interesting, but I think that this also means her sealed pass folder is the exact thing that was in your sealed pass folder when you oh, were on the computer at age fourteen. That's or pretty 15, interesting. Yeah, or sixteen. 16, I think, so. Better. Yeah, well, that is actually literally correct. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, pretend I said that one first instead of just, like, counting wrong. Um, Brave if I had to yeah, keep it so... and just delete it. Oh, fucking... Sorry, she got who's editing the po- She's got foresight. I'm sorry, who's editing the podcast? No, sorry, no, wait, no, 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 I meant Nori. Like, oh, sorry. <laughs> as, a, as a 16-year-old, if I had shit I was embarrassed at, I would, del- I would nuke that stuff. Her keeping it is oh, genius yeah. foresight. Yeah, she's kind of a genius because she knows that's what the money is in about 10 years. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, next up, 
Question two from Max. What would Yuno's Monogatari apparition be? A reference I see to episode, um, episode, um... Seven, Yuno Crab. Eight, eight Yuno eight Crab. Crab. Yes. Yes, Yuno Crab, funny title, definitely a Monogatari reference. Um, what would her apparition be? God damn, I don't know. I mean, if being a if it was based off of the, sense. yeah, if it was based off the fever dream, it could be a tapir. Ooh, that would make a lot of sense, actually. There you go. If she had an incident like in Vacuum Monogatari, it would have been the fever dream tapir coming to life or something. Yeah, no, I, I think it makes sense. I think I think her being trapped in some sort of wakeless dream of of loops and cycles definitely ties into her psychology that we see in the first two seasons. Her yeah, fear of totally. Moving forwards. Um, and then finally, refusing to be dissuaded by the blatant attempt in the post-pick, I have to ask Mallory's thoughts on Spring 23's sweetest anime, Edomai Elf. Shut up, dude! I'm, I'm not even asking people to send these in, Mallory. People just do it. This is now the no, third No, you time. put it in the question, and it was a funny, it was funny in the question <laughs> post, and I, can I just say, round of applause for Ranka on the extremely high effort pictures for the, con- for the uh, question post on this one. Uh, I have to bust out my figmas for the season four question post at this rate. Oh, please do. I will. And by bust out, I mean move the ones that are currently posed uh, above my computer right now that I'm looking at. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you put that in the question post. I think, if anything, shame on you, Max, for taking low-hanging fruit when I expect better from you. But also, it's fair, and I have not seen it, so leave me alone. Don't Don't leave me alone. We love you. Sorry, buddy. Don't leave Mallory alone about this. We'll make her one day. Anyways, um, thank you for your questions. Up next, question from Space Flower X. Is the weed on the show real? Space Flower X! Space Flower X, is the weed on the show real? What the fuck are you talking about? Help me. Help what, me. What the, fu- what the fuck are you talking about? I'm just gonna do the thing where I reply in the podcast account saying, what do you mean? And then we'll see if we can get a response by the end of the um, mailbag. So tentative thank you for your question. Otherwise, God you damn mean? you for your question. I would never say that. I take back the God damn you. <laughs> Anyways, we'll come back to you later, I think. Up next, uh, QVotums on Twitter <laughs> with a couple questions. Hello, Karen. Hey, Karen! Is Hidamari's sketch an example of how much better being able to have some length for Slice of Life shows is? Like, obviously, the material they're adapting is good, but a lot of the stuff that makes the anime in particular special would be lost if it was just 12 episodes. That's I mean, like, interesting. Because I think we've kind of touched upon that a little bit in this episode of... Yeah. Of, oh, they've sort of adapted all the good bits, so every time they have... Like, no, 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 that's, that's, no, that's badly phrased. Because they, they were finished able... picking and choosing what to adapt, exactly. and now they're just doing what we would call a normal adaptation. Exactly. Which I think, but I think that's just because of the very specific way they went about it. I mean, I do generally think that multiple seasons will benefit a slice of life show because it gives you longer time to be attached to the characters and attached to the world. Um, so yeah, I think I think it does benefit it. I think also Hidamari having such a theme of the passage of time. I yeah, mean, it's quite common in in Kuro's. Like we've had this, used to have this whole bit where we'd count what Kira had technically the fastest period of time passing in it. I think Kaon is still up there for one of the fastest. But I think I think Hidari really likes really like sort of like revelling in its uh its time and like how it can develop things both very quickly but very slowly depending on how it wants to approach an angle in any given episode. Yeah. 
And I've so, always liked how returning to seasons one and two can make mm-hmm. it feel like the the um, asynchronous order is fun for lots of reasons. But one of the things that I think strikes me about it now is that it can feel a lot like you, one's memory of high school. Mm, you know, it's like definitely. the significant parts cropped out, moved around. The visuals help add to this. And I think going back to it as a memory itself, it like just keeps sort of adding to that feeling of like, pure mystique and wonder and like fondness Mm. and also yeah time passing but from looking at a static point while moving forward yourself is also another thing that this show has going for it in that regard yeah i think i think it does it is the longest kirara right uh oh it it must be yeah Yeah. because it has four full seasons a shit ton of specials and the ova and the ova yeah so yeah it must be the longest I guess if um, the only one that I feel like could really catch it um, might be if um, uh, Masaya fucking brain shutting down uh, Machikado, I think, is in the potential to continue its run, depending on how the manga goes. But I don't yeah. know how much longer it's going to get. Machikado. I, I guess also um, Rabbit could catch. Oh, Eurocamp. Eurocamp will probably overtake Eurocamp it. Eurocamp will probably overtake yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it depends if you count the movie runtime. Aren't they going into <laughs> season four of Eurocamp? Um, season three is coming out next, I think. Coming out, okay, got yes. it. Season, uh, yeah, they came. There's the movie which is like future set, and now there's series three, which is a sequel to season two. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, we'll talk about that at some point. We sure will. All right, thank you, Karen, for your question. Thank you. Up next, got a good couple of questions from Javi. Hello, Javi. What nicknames would you have given Nori and Nazuna? I can't really beat Noripe. Noripe is just so good. It's so funny. It feels so nice. I also like the throwaway Norisuke that happens at one point that I thought was really cute. I also like that callback to like um the way Miyako tests out new nicknames for people. Yes. When she just starts saying them and sees what happens. I think I could. Nazuna, I could, though. I could see Nori being a Nori Kichi. Oh yeah. There. That's Nazuna, cute. Nah. It has to be Nazutan, obviously. Nazutan. Nazutan's good. Nazunazu. Nazu Nazu. Um, I think Nori and Nazuna would respectively be chief and boss. Yeah. <laughs> What's for dinner, boss? Uh, oh, I don't know. Um, I haven't made anything yet. It's like no, I was asking if you wanted to order. <laughs> um, that would go. That would be good. You're that could good. go. Question number two from Javi. Uh, is it me, or are there a lot of good anime that have an episode that makes a big deal out of Tanabata? Uh, honestly loves that dude, shit. It's, yeah it's kind of a big deal i There's a lot of tv shows that make a big deal out of thanksgiving and that shit yeah. is whack was, yeah but the bear made a deal out of it and it was great that was christmas so christmas oh it's, it's that was a christmas episode yeah they're italian so they would not care about thanksgiving like that i don't know what americans go up to they'd be eating food i'll tell you that much Mm-mm. just like Mm-mm. season three yeah yeah Mm-mm, good um and finally, from Javi, this is a fun one. What's the cutest outfit in the whole show? Cutest is hard. Oh, that's... Oh, this is what I need to prep for. I know it's a cowardly answer. Well, I think this is something, if you don't mind, Mally, we might pin this and maybe do this in our season four episode. Oh, man. Congratulations, Javi. You're going to get our, our currently longest pinned uh, bookmark, I think. Uh, yeah, you we'll this have now? to pin this. Makes sense, right? Yeah. No, I think you're right. You're right. Okay. We're going to keep but you good bookmarked, question. baby. Good fucking question. I, I will say, I did mention the polos. 
in this season. Um, there's an episode. I think it's like episode seven, the Chica episode. This one stood out to me for outfits in this season because Sai and Chica have like the matching like chains and necklaces and they look like realtor sisters. <laughs> and then when Sai is wearing this outfit with the chain and stuff next to um, a hero and Hero's wearing like a really frilly dress, like more so than usual. They look like an Edwardian like um, LARP dyke couple. It's very <laughs> crazy to me. I think Iris tweeted it, so go check out Iris's Twitter. It, this one cracked us up so bad. We were hooting and hollering watching this. Um, yeah, really good outfits from, from this season. Uh, thank you, Javi. And you. wait for more elaboration. Uh, I think, yeah, I think, you know, I don't know. Um, okay, this is not my favorite. There is one point where Miyoko is just dressed as Mario for the episode. That is a good out. one. That actually might also one. be from an episode, I think, about it. A lot of good, lot right. of good outfits this season alone. Uh, We're logging really you away. About it. We're putting you in the freezer. <sighs> Up next, we have a question from Brain Breeze. Um, Brain hello, Breeze. Frame. Oh, Brain Breeze, okay. Why would you put your sealed past in a folder on your desktop, and what would Nori have to hide in there? So we sort of answered the second one, but like, putting it on the desktop is just bravery. I think so. I think maybe it's something that she has to, like, understand that she has to deal with at some point. Yes, like, it's important. Like, like maybe I... it's like a, it's like, um, from Free Rain, it's a spirit she has to go check up on in 80 years. <laughs> I could, you know, I could see it being DMs with a friend that she never answered, and they're kind of cringe, which is like, I really need to get back to them at some point. So she's kept, like, the message log in there. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. That is actually crazy. I, I, I feel that, though. I like that one. Um... I don't know. I mean, for me, I put some stuff on a folder on the desktop to remind me of stuff, and mm. it's good to see it. I don't have to click on it ever, but it's good to know that it's there. <laughs> I'm pretty so curious. I gotta, I gotta get that. Yeah. I um, I would not. I would yeah, die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it happens. Uh, or maybe she's saving it for an auto bio comic so she can go zine fair viral oh, in the future. Oh. She's gonna go comic at. Pog crazy. She's gonna become the Nagata Kabi of the fictional <laughs> world. Can be me to it. Nagata Nori. Nagata Nori. Wow. Alright, thank you for your question. Up next, a fun one from uh, at DJ Cold Breakfast. What up, Johnny? DJ Cold Breakfast! Hello. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome back. It's been a while. Um, don't remember if y'all answered this before, but what would be the mascot, question mark, for yourselves in the way Aoki Ume has that metapod? Oh, if we, we could have... just pick a Pokemon, oh I'm fucking, I, I, I'm gonna be Pukumuku. Oh, Pukumuku is a is a fucking cute one. You're oh uh, no, this this is actually a really good one. Damn. Um, we'll do a Pokemon and then we'll do like a general. Okay. Uh, Pokemon, 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 Pokemon. Uh, you know what? I I have a strong fondness for coughing and wheezing. I think just being like oh. a small ball that floats in the air with like a shit eating grin the entire time would be would, would be you like to be, to be the british coughing and wheezing with the funny no, top hat and the no, epic monocle and mustache no no i wouldn't want to be that one okay sorry <laughs> do you not want to be like like a sir wheezing like a sir like a, bo a rage face wheezing goes crazy <laughs> 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 the regional pokemon variants for uh nine nine gag and fortune <laughs> Oh god. Oh, that would 
be so good. That would be so good. They should make a Pokemon game about being on the damn computer. <laughs> I guess that's just Mega Man Battle Network, isn't it? Oh, that's it. Yeah. But general general mascot. Uh, if if we could be anything, I'd I'd want to be like a. Ooh, I don't know. I'd I think I'd want. Well, I think badger is the thing that's often thrown as my sort of spirit animal, and I wouldn't mind being like a funny little badger with like like a funny funny like furry jacket. Oh yeah. Okay. I'd yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, you would be so you'd be so Redwall meets uh, Frog and Toad. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, a little corduroy on a badger. Okay. Ooh, that doesn't look bad. I'm, right. I'm not. Yeah, that'd be. Right. I'm not a big corduroy rarer, but I could. I could go with it. Oh, you would pull off corduroy if, if they if they ever make like a neon hype beast corduroy. I'm gonna buy it for you. <laughs> Thank you. No problem. Or like an off white corduroy with like the belts everywhere. <laughs> All right, your turn. Your turn. Uh, so we're talking about animals. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna sidetrack here because okay. um, we talked about this before with like uh, mangaka mascots. Yeah, and I think um, there's something insanely charming about the nondescript inanimate object that doesn't even have like a face on it. Yeah. Um, the author of Jigokuraku, um, Yuji Kaji. That's not correct. One second. Yuji Kaku. Mm-hmm. Um, Yuji Kaku uh, draws um, himself himself as a skull with like flowers around it in the oh. end of every volume of Jigokuraku, and it's the same cult. skull every time, but it's just like a slightly different drawing, and it doesn't even really have like a pose or a face it's doing. It just happens to have a face because it is a skull. Mm-hmm. I thought that was super cute. Always, I always really look quite like that. Hey, actually, um, Q doesn't actually have a representative character, does she? Who? Hesh the Q, uh, Donna Hedder author. I don't know that that is... I don't know that she does, but yeah. I'm going to Google. Because if she does, it'll just show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably not. I don't know. Not that I can think of, for sure. I wish there was a term for that. I feel like that the fandom... in J- Japanese fandom definitely has a term for that that I just am not aware of. Yeah, I there must be. I'll, I'll do some research. Mangaka Sona. The Mangaka Sona. I don't know. Yeah, but she she would have a good one, I bet. Let me check the Dora Hedoro uh, fandom for trivia. No, I'm not seeing anything. I'm seeing that she is a longtime Hanshin Tigers fan. <laughs> Checks out. Yeah, okay. Alright, happens. Um. Anyway, so this is to say the inanimate object is a charming way to go, and I think there's uh, something understated about that. And I'm reminded of when I was streaming for a bit, and my channel, I my channel points icon was Beef Wellingtons. Oh, that's fun! I could be a fun little Beef Wellington with the lattice top. I think I'd be. Good. I could do that. I think it's that... almost Beef Wellington season again this year. I'm gonna make so many. I sorry, just with no face, but can we like put hats on it? I think I think a Beef Wellington. You can put like, what you can do whatever you want. Like, to. You can give a, it a face. A good I just think that the inanimate face hat object would be pretty good. A witch hat. Uh, a snapback or a Jamiroquai hat. Oh my god. Yeah, that would go crazy. The Trafalgar Law special. Mm. <laughs> okay. Uh, and as far as animal, I would probably go for like a raccoon or a skunk. Those are the Toronto classics. I got, I got, I got to be me. I, I guess Badger is basically the British Ragoon anyway. Pretty this much. Is, this is this is twin. Yeah, we're 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 cousins fundamentally. Cuz we're, twi- we're twins and cousins. Cousin. 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 
All right. Thank you, Ajani, for your question. Thank you. Uh, up next, we got some f- funny ones from Mean Machinery. The Thunder Round. Thunder doesn't sound like that. What, was the, what the fuck was that? What? What that noise I just made? Yeah, yours was like the wind surrounding the storm, I guess, oh, which okay. is fine, I think. Yeah, let's go with that. The hurricane um, round. All right, we're going to get silly here. I mm-hmm. You have not seen these yet, right? I have not. Okay, these are fucking funny. I've been wait. I've, I've been excited to get to these. Um, okay. honestly, all day. I haven't actually watched Hidamari past season two, so I'm gonna outsource my questions to TV tropes and Europedia. Oh my god! <laughs> First of all, are these tropes true? Mm-hmm. Um, trope one: seasonal rot. Even with the additions of Nazuna and Nori, season three slowly started the series' decline in quality with slightly less clever moments and dialogue. So we've gone over pretty depth how we think season three is a decline in quality, yeah. but not in moments and dialogue. Yeah. Specifically it's... not in moments and dialogue. Yeah. It's not a decline in moments and dialogue. I think it's the stories aren't necessarily as sharp and I don't think the animation is as strong. And also I remember Honeycomb being better than season three. I also actually remember this too. So I'm looking forward to seeing if that is and en- that that ends up being the case. Yeah. Um, it might so, just be yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure why i'd have a mistake mistaken thought about season four being better than season three but it seems true in my head firmly so looking forward to testing that out um so yeah i guess honestly tv tropes once again um like a broken clock right uh, for some of the reasons <laughs> um a second trope follow the leader Okay. Due to the success of Hidamari, Kirara would start to branch out into adapting more of their manga, which is still seen to this day. Most of them follow the same schoolgirl series, that is also a link, implying that that is also a trope and not like a genre, <sighs> mm-hmm. template as Hidamari, but a majority have failed to recapture the same magic. I mean, like, we talked about this. Hidamari yeah. was not the first Kirara adaptation that was doujin work. No, we might have fact check that. Oh, no, we actually. were wrong? Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure Dojin Work. I think that, like... Oh, my Kitamari... God. We have to... I think, I think we made that correction in the Dojin Work episode, actually. Oh, no. It was... I didn't, it didn't It didn't stick in my head. Oh, no. Oh, okay, we're doing an emergency Google. Check this out. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was uh by six months. It was still it was still Hidamari sketch. Okay, well yeah. then I take that back again. Um, final fact check. We were right the first time. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I mean, objectively, no. Not many of them have had the same staying power as Hidamari. No, and that I is absolutely true. Do also think a majority of them are not as good as Hidamari. Is is just the the fact of it. Um. Yep. I do think Hidamari Sketch... I think it's the one-two punch of Hidamari Sketch and K-On that really changed the landscape. I think if it had just been Hidamari Sketch, we wouldn't have ended up with K-On. And personally, I don't think K-On would have turned out the way if it hadn't been for the uh, Haruhi concert scene. Yeah. No, I think it's yeah, yeah. so critical. We talked, to... a, we talked a lot about the Haruhi concert scene as yeah. like a moment in this genre that we're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's so key to... Like, not just having, I think especially TV anime, having a sequence yeah, like that yeah, yeah. that could suck and sell records like crazy and be looked at as just this monumentally good scene. So, I, I mean, I do think yes, Hidamari definitely had a big uh, positive warming effect on Hobunsha being interested in getting other stuff adapted, but I, I think 
Hidemari is not the sole cause. No. Although, we do um, feel like Hidemari was pretty also... fucking huge for a while. Sorry, what were you saying? Uh, it's, I think it's always a bit easier to feel that Hidemari was like also epoch-crushingly huge for a little while. Yeah, yeah. I have two things I want to talk about with this that I've been thinking about. Um, mm-hmm. One of them is a nitpick. Um, I would argue that a majority of the shows to follow the template um, are not trying to recapture that same magic. Yeah. That's also They true. are not trying to do what Hidamari does. They are trying to do what Kaon did. Except Achikochi, which was trying to do what Hidamari did for some fucking reason. Yeah, you know what? Respect to them for trying. Um, they should have picked a better series. So true. Um, my second point. I was talking with Iris about this uh, a lot while watching this season. Mm-hmm. Someone else on my Twitter might have been talking about this too. It might have been like Ivy, former guest uh, star on the pod Ivy as well. Um, and if you mentioned it and you're not one of those two people, um, I see you in your valid. But um, Hidamari Sketch is such a monumentally big show that is not or has not really ever hit the mimetic saturation that like yeah. your Azumanga Dayo or your Lane even really like Lane. The Lane thing is different. That's for schizoids to feel good about themselves because they uh, don't want to like heal. Um, and or that's... watch Lane for the most part. Or watch apparently. Lane, frankly. Yeah, <laughs> really good point. Um, and I guess like, do you, like, I think we've talked about this, but like, is it just that Hidamari sketch is too encompassing of a vibe to have have mimetic status outside of itself? Like, in a a decontextualized arena, does Hidamari Sketch still carry enough charm to be memes? Like, I'm just wondering, like, it it is influential. It's arguably more influential and and directly important because of how it led to K-On!, but it is not, you know, you're not seeing fucking pictures of Yuno with a thing mentioned three times a day on Twitter. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I, I mean, I think aspects of it were definitely big, especially when I think me and Mallory were growing up. Either. Like, I'd say wide face was a, a thing that people would be like, yo, have you seen him very sketch? The faces are so yeah, yeah. fucking wide. Wide uh, face, also, their faces are wide. Like, again, a term that has completely dropped out of um, circulation, but do you remember people who say, ah, my nut bladder? That's from Hidamari sketch, English language fandom. I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, wow, really? I think so. Might be wrong, but that, that was always the impression I got. Because I think, I think Hidamari Sketch was was one of the first, like, ah, oh, this is a properly quote-unquote moe show that, like, picked up uh, English language fans. Yeah, 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 that's true. Uh, which, I mean, I, I, I obviously have very complex feelings on those kinds of classifications, but the... I do think it's an interesting point. You're right. Yeah, like it has never really caught on in the Western mainstream beyond. You can see it touching it, like things like um, um, black and yellow sketch switch. Is like it's oh, even nearly... then, okay, it's like, touching that's a, it. But that's it's a just great song, but like I am so always surprised how few people have heard that like i'll introduce you to mario sketch to people as like oh yeah you might recognize this song and then they're like why would i recognize this song and i was like oh you haven't seen the fucking legendary black and yellow remix and they're like no (laughs) and that happens way more often now than it used to and it's kind of shocking that's just because we're old mallory that's just because i know i know but i'll be yeah yeah no i know i know i get it (sighs) anyways even that is a less relevant touch point than it has been for me historically so like that's one of the things i'm talking about here like yeah i get you it, I like, think it's never been as close to legendary status as we have held it 
in our heads, which makes I, sense. But I think also we're talking about English language fandom. I think Japan, yeah, yeah. it is it is held up. But I think yeah, definitely the West. I would say English. Yeah, well, I was just saying. Actually, I was gonna say I don't normally say broadly West. I'm gonna say broadly West in this case, um, where I think Lucky Star and Kon, I think were both hugely outstripped in terms of popularity, and then it. I do wonder if it just the first season particularly just actually being a little bit strange might also add to that yeah because it's kind of hard it is like like the people who i show episode one season one two and Mm. they instantly get it those are like longtime dear friends whose opinions and frankly often their work in art is something that i really like respect and admire about them Mm -hmm. like i was showing kai this and kai was like literally falling asleep but it was like that was such a dope episode of anime and he was like Mm. blown away yeah. Um, and then I've shown a lot of people who like anime, and Hida Sketch Season 1, Episode 1, doesn't grab them in the same way that anime in their mind is supposed to, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think Hida Sketch Season 1 in particular is so... such a, like, thing that is quirky without being funny about it, that it seems like it could bounce off a lot of people. Just yeah. because... And not like in a dislike way, I was like, oh, this was like kind of cute but they're probably more used to again like a lucky star or kaon conception of cute where it's like i mean obviously lucky star has a very infamous first episode which is really not very good but um yeah. but K- like kaon's first episode that is a really solid 25 minutes of characters having fun banter bouncy animation etc hidamari yeah. just starts with a lot of slow scenes and really experimental cuts in, in cold, a way desolate winter yeah in a way it's just like hidamari is definitely the anime nerds slice of life yep uh, it's why we love the it. best most smug way possible <laughs> for sure uh and we have one more trope to go over here and we've mm-hmm. definitely talked about this but i guess um okay. uh me machinery you missed that part but hey i'll bring it up because i love bringing it up um ahem trope number three executive veto aoki okay. wanted hero to be a male a wholesome cross-dresser and that's also a trope linked to it another is. article uh, but was shot down by her editor. Uh, this is true. Yes. This yeah. is actually we, true. We've definitely talked about this in previous episodes. This is actually true. Um, and I think that you can see the remnants of this in one or two artifacts that made it through to the anime, in my opinion. The, like, the, the body image stuff? Well, the body image stuff, I think I'm curious about. Because like, it's really hard to say if the intent for Hero's character was to be insecure about cross-dressing, and this, when translated to a cis woman, is the weight stuff. Mm-hmm. Or if Aoki Ume was the wokest and horniest she had ever been in that moment <laughs> and was going to make an insecure, chubby cross-dresser or trans woman <laughs> in 2004, which would have, I think, changed uh, life as we know it on Earth forever. I... Yeah, I think like, I, I think about was... that a lot. <laughs> I, I think to some to some degree we might have been spared. Also possibly true, but it's, oh my it word. Yeah. It, I think, you know, yeah, either way. Uh, the other thing that is um, a little, like, artifact of that is um, the famous uh, season one slur moment from Miyako. Yes. I have to imagine that that was just a joke that she kept in because she was too proud of her pun. <laughs> I have to imagine that to be the case. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. We've talked about this a lot, but I, I always consider and think about, like, how much of the character changed with that edit change. Like, mm. was Hero going to be the wholesome 
cross-dresser slash trans woman who was still the mother of the group or was still like a good cook or was still like... i i imagine so i i assume it was gonna be a bit like the um the, like big air quotes on like like the akama onesan type yeah, uh, yeah. And that the, still the, sticks with the, the mama of the bar, if you will. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Totally. That makes sense. Anyways, I think about this all the time. Even if it would not have been good because it was 04, um, I still think about it all the time. I definitely I, want the option to see what we what we could have had. Yeah, I think it would be a really interesting world line to look into. And I think, I don't know, I ever since I learned about it, it is a little bit hard to separate from how I see Hero in the show. Oh, absolutely. It's, impo- it's impossible to separate, yeah. Um... All right, those are our tropes. So we're out of the woods here. Now we get to okay. relax with Euripedia. <laughs> God. Um, okay. ahem. This is actually uh, shocking and upsetting. So get ready for this. Oh God. Okay. Um, and this is Mean Machinery's tweet here. The only Hitamari characters listed on Euripedia are Yuno, Miyako, and Natsume. That is weird enough on its own. But Yuno and Miyako are not scaled from the show, but from a doujin. Is that even allowed? What? This is crazy. So we talked about Euripedia before. Recently enough that I'm not going to go into depth here. But yeah. the stats on Euripedia for gayness, boldness, commitment, and lewdness, they're out of 10. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me that you know that on the page for you know, first of all, the image for her is taken from a doujin uh, okay. that quite frankly looks like shit. All right. Uh, and then under stats, it says uh, age question mark, which like uh, you can just literally figure it out. Um, she's six. She's uh, fifteen or seventeen, depending on where in the show you are. And then for stats, it says gayness eight out of ten in the dojinshi. Okay. Boldness six. Okay. Commitment nine out of ten in the dojinshi. Lewdness five out of ten in the dojinshi. But Completely six, so, sorry, baffling. So is, is six just a static? Like they're pretty sure. Literally, that. it's just there. Boldness is just wow. six, and it doesn't even say out of ten because they're always assumed to be out of ten. <laughs> But that one doesn't for some reason. Okay. And then um, the Natsume numbers are just listed as is. And for the record, her stats are 10 for gayness, 3 for boldness, 10 for commitment, and 4 for lewdness. Which I think is kind of fair, although I would argue that her commitment could be lower because she can't commit to talking to Sai. This is true, yeah, I think. Her obsession is 10. Her obsession is 10 for sure. Mm, I know that that's what commitment is meant to be, but still. It baffles me. It blows my mind that someone would do this to one of the most legendary shows of all time. A show that we just spent like way too long talking about how important <laughs> it is. That its its representation on Euripedia is this haphazard and slapdash. Why don't we go to Euripedia and edit in every single Eunomia and Saihiro moment and Nori Nazuna moment that we've ever listed on this podcast? If we do that That's... alone, we will create a new like Akashic Records. We will exactly. We will. We will save Euripedia. We will make Euripedia good. We will not also, not I, great again, but good for the first time. We, we will change it. We will. And then um, on Miyako's page, I want to. I save this for last because this is a uh, Mean Machinery's final tweet. Okay. Um, the stats are seven out of ten in the Dojinshi for gayness, and then okay. boldness is eight, commitment is okay. ten, and then lewdness is four out of nine in the Dojinshi. <laughs> Uh, me <laughs> machinery adds on further inspection miyako's lewdness is not on a scale of one to ten but one to nine i'm starting to wonder if Euripedia is not as reliable and scientific <laughs> as i've been led to believe beautiful 
um yeah just another like just a, a a pain to the the ultimate uselessness of Euripedia unfortunately for us thank um, you thank you Euripedia oh man as as part of the upcoming 10th anniversary of me and Mallory's scan group sexy key detectives I should oh my actually God, really yeah it's wow. I, I don't think I mean actually you've been, you've been involved about like the the two or three year mark in but yeah it is it is coming up to 10 years yeah that's crazy uh i should actually scan late some of the the good uh, miyako and yuno dojinshi i have i'd like to i would love to get in photoshop i'd love to get in there tap in okay fuck yeah that's happening that's very fun um yeah so that's happening uh (laughs) sorry i can resist that was not good sketch Um, now um yeah i've been watching a lot of like magic the gathering guys on youtube oh no and my god, the way some of them talk is mind-boggling. It's really this rough. One guy, I... This one guy, Mitch, he does, like, spoiler season for, like, new cards. And he, every <laughs> single new card, he goes, um, yeah, so this is potentially really powerful. And honestly, <laughs> kind of incredible. Yeah, so here's a bunch of cards that would go great with, um, yeah, this as a commander or just in your 99. And it's, like, every single card is this exact same fucking breakdown wow um yeah it's it's stuck in my fucking head god, it's so I, good. I don't watch much mtg videos i watch a bit of uh Tularian community college and when i watch his gameplay stuff i'm just like all the people he gets them like i i don't think i could watch a single actual solo video of any of these people i mean the one that i have is aaron hansen unfortunately but yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like you're not wrong i mean i was i would take his magic videos over quite a lot of people's i'm not gonna lie you know what? I, I'm sorry. We're on a full tangent here, but we're sort of like plugging up some time. Um, Aaron Hansen is so much more likable and visibly happy when he's playing Magic than doing anything else he's been doing for like 10 years. <laughs> it's crazy to me. I honestly love his Magic videos because he looks like he's enjoying himself with people that's, that he likes to be around. That's that's so rare. Oh, man. When when they make the Kirara version of the Testa, Mallory? Oh, my God. <laughs> Billy the Beast. <laughs> All right, great, amazing. Right. Too niche. Let's Ooh. back it up. <laughs> Let's back it up. Um, is the weed on the show real? I don't know. <laughs> I uh, the space flower X. I've waited um this whole half hour. I don't know what you mean. Please let us know, and we will we will retouch this in a later episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for writing in. Thank you. Um, all right, <sighs> that's gonna do it for Hita Sketch. Hoshimitsu mailbag. I think so. As always, thank you for when I wrote in. We post thank the you. questions on our Twitter. We appreciate it. We always love it. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for, for finding some new questions for season three of a show that we are going to discuss season four of. Yep. Um, oh, and it's going to go crazy. Oh, boy. Whew. All right. Um, how shall we break this down here? Uh, I guess. Should I start with my piece then? In terms of what I thought? Yeah, yeah. So, Hinari Sketch X Hashimitsu and also SP, as brief as I talked. Uh, SP is relevant, so what we didn't talk about much, I'm going to bring it up here. Uh, it's an interesting thing to mention the context of reviewing all the Hiraras, in that if you're not as. I'm not saying critically minded in a, oh, we're so much better, but if you're not, like, thinking as hard as we try to make ourselves do when we write down our little notes for each episode, it's, like, probably a notably but not really disastrously weaker set of Hidamari. Um. 
eight episodes that aren't so great and episodes that are pretty good. About as good as the good stuff. Maybe a little bit not as good, but whatever. Uh, and they just watch it and enjoy it as a normal person. And it does end on some pretty good episodes in the TV series and SP. I don't like the Hoshimitsu specials at all. But that's neither here nor there. But here's yeah. the thing. If... If you are not the person that we talked about in the first five minutes of this podcast, and you actually have been listening to most of these episodes and watching most of these shows, this show is a step back in parts. And I have never read too deeply about Shaft in the early, in the late, te- late noughties and the early tens, but it's pretty obvious that Shaft's talent was being fractured, its direction was going in a bunch of different places, the things that were being like emphasised their pet projects are not the things that have been necessarily remembered, like Soromachi was clearly a huge pet project for them, it's probably one of the least talked about Shaft shows of all time. Yeah. And I'm just going to say that now, Ishikura Kenichi is not one of Shaft's finest, and I feel like under his leadership, I don't think the staff of the series engaged with it in the same way that they had in previous iterations. And there's just this like lack of polish throughout, especially once SP switched up the directors again, and you can immediately tell, oh no, this is classic Hidamari, this is season two Hidamari. Maybe not as interesting plot lines, but like the direction, the quirks, the just polish is there again. And in a way, I always wonder if this is a good thing. In this current era where, you know, in tenured anime directors are complaining that making TV anime is really hard because you're basically just expected to put the manga on screen. The fact that I can tell apart each season of Hidamari distinctively from who their director combination was. Uh, I think Shinbo is the sole director of season two, but otherwise they were all co-directed with someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes it really interesting to talk about. It makes it really interesting to watch and it makes you know realise every bit of Hidamari is different. It is a labour of love, like what the characters would create. But That's Hoshimitsu right. is the worst take on it. It uh, it thinks what makes up Hidamari sketch is cute girls and a sense of prevailing, prevailing coziness. And yeah, these are integral to the series. And it does deliver on those pretty well. I think actually the comedy is some of the best it's ever been. I think there's some really charming and sweet moments of animation and, like I said, moments amongst the cast. But it lacks that experimentation. It lacks that artistic edge, that thoughtfulness, that attempt to elevate the material. Hidamari Sketch and 365 are some of the best because they just don't have much competition. Hoshimitsu has quite a lot. But it's still good. Like, this is not a season you should skip. You can't skip it because it's really plot plot important. Uh, And it's still good, but uh, I have some issues. Yep. Uh, Yeah, to largely almost entirely echo what Ranga said. You know, we're going from the pretty fucking pristine 10s and 9.5s for seasons 1 and 2, and we're bumping down to, like, perhaps an 8. Maybe, for the first four episodes, a 7.5 for uh, Hoshimitsu. Um, and honestly, like, it's sort of bound to happen. If we're looking at the four directors over the course of the show, like each one gets a season. Um, honestly, wait. First of all, wait for our special episode where we compare the series seasons of Hidamari Sketch to the uh, Mission Impossible franchise and Tom Cruise's <laughs> vision for unique and individualist direction, um, using him as an element as a as a part of a canvas. Um, don't worry, we will not be doing that. But. Um, Long story short, we look at those uh, three directors, the one that went on to do the most, stand, like, you know, 
I'm not trying to be a total dick here, but Sakura Trick is like really annoying. And um, <laughs> this makes the most sense to me because I think a lot of other people who tackle a season of Hidamari Sketch are able to or interested in doing it from an angle other than Akirara, you know? Mm. Like, I think that Shinbo is a fascinating dude. He's done a lot of stuff. We can talk a lot about Shinbo. Um, he has done a sh so much more stuff that is not um, Hidamari Sketch than <laughs> is Hidamari Sketch, yeah. you know? And I think that that um, adds to the series, and it especially helps build an important foundation for a show like this to have that established tradition of experimentation from season one, which, once again, is not even... It is he is the sole director of season one, but you have a lot of a lot oh, no, of he's young. Not. Uh, he's sole director of season two. Season one is a collaboration with another guy who uh, hasn't done that much. Oh, I uh, misclicked. But... I misclicked really badly. My bad. Yes, Ryoki Kamitsubo. Um, yeah, was the other co chief director, and then the director, as listed, is um, Imura Masayuki. Anyway, sorry. This is to say. I feel like seasons one and two seem to be about nurturing and exploring new talent, whereas season three is, um, I feel like if I'm at Shaft Studios and I have a lot of things blowing up right now, I am more than happy to have Hita Sketch be a resting on my laurels show at this point in time. For sure. Um, so I get it. I think if anything, the casting is maybe the most interesting thing about this season with Chiaki Omigawa pulling through a unique and I would say really valuable performance as Nazuna. Mm -hmm. Um because I, th I think if you have it, we are now forced to compare Hidamari sketch to every other Kirara that has followed it because of how season three hashes out. And Nazuna is a character that I think loses almost all of her charm for me without the nuances of Chiaki Omigawa's performance. For yeah. me personally, I I think it sells the character in a way that is needed to put to put this out in like the tradition of Hita Sketch, you know. And yeah, I'm being fussy, but that's how I feel. And we're going down to like picking hell and knit right now, but that's okay. I think um, that's how you have to analyze this stuff. It's it's the point of the podcast. To. It's why it's how we, we it's how we get to analyze this stuff. We're lucky in this regard. That's true. Um. Yeah, so I don't have a lot to add besides, yeah, if you've seen Hita Sketch, you're not allowed to skip any of it. You have to watch all of it. Even if you're like me and you forget to watch SP, it's okay as long as you go back to it. Um, Dude, it's pretty good. Yeah, you it's... should watch it. Um, If you're new to Hita Sketch, start from the beginning. Um, So <laughs> as far as a usual recommendation line, hard to say. But I will say, if you like... If you liked how this show looked, you should also watch Storimachi. And if you mm. liked how Storimachi looked, you should watch, check this out, Arakawa Under the Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Arakawa Under the Bridge is pretty good. I, Arakawa Under the Bridge and Hidamari Sketch, I think, do have a certain kind of synchronicity to them that you might not expect. But I think... Uh, and I I do prefer Hidamari. I have some issues with Arakawa, but Arakawa is... Oh, yeah. It's yes. worth checking out. But here's the thing. Arakawa mm -hmm. and this season of Hita Sketch were pretty much neighbors in the schedule. They were both 2010 yeah. shows, right? Aren't they, and aren't I they also like think contemporaneous? Um, no, actually. The specials were contemporaneous. Oh, okay. 
Oh no, not even. It was um, it was uh, Hoshimitsu, Arakawa, and then the specials in that order, and they right. never overlapped. But if you look at the stuff that Shaft is doing alongside Hitamari Sketch season three, it makes a lot of sense why season three ends up like this. It looks like the way it does, and it feels like what it is because they are having to branch out into a lot of stuff that would become industry defining and industry standard. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is. But yeah, look yeah. forward to season four and enjoy season three. That shit's still good, baby. It's still good. It's still good. Yeah, awesome. Uh, honestly, I have half a mind to be like, you know, if you're trying to get someone into Hinamari sketch and they bounce off season one, show them season three. Gosh, like, I... bad idea. No, bad idea. No, no. I think right. I think episode one of season two is is a good. Yeah, job probably, probably. Anyways, that's enough on that. Um, I also like to say, breaking news, breaking news. I received confirmation oh. from Spaceflower X that it was a joke question. And there's no joke that we're missing. It what? was just the Snoop Dogg reference. What What if What if Hitamari, what if Hitamari's smoked weed and did drugs like Mario? Makes you think. That would be crazy. Um, one of my Probably coworkers crazy. was Mario for Halloween. And that, nice. yo, he was talking about the mushroom. <laughs> facts fucking <laughs> fucking facts. crazy fucking crazy all right so thank you all for listening to uh our third episode on hinamari sketch hoshimitsu uh-huh. now Ronko, what are we um what are we um uh watching next time do you have the thing open uh don't worry mallory i know we're going from one baller show to another batter up babes you better nice. be ready to catch my pitch because we're watching tamayomi have you heard Whoa. of Tamiomi before? You probably haven't. Uh, it's it's the second sports girl covering. It's a baseball series. Um, and yeah, I'm quite interested to dig into it. Okay, baseball. Um, baseball. Everyone, let's hope this one's a home run. Ooh. The count is full. Uh, <laughs> leading up to our next episode. Um, base is loaded with lots of uh, thoughtful ideas about Tamayomi. Or, or, or will Absolutely. they? Let's see. Okay. Uh, thanks, everybody. So uh, thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Terrible. I and Ethan are so fucking bad. <laughs>Thank you once again for listening to Our Fun Things Fun, episode 41, covering Hoshimitsu, season 3 of Hidomari Sketch. Thank you again for being patient with the delays. Uh, I'm just planning a lot of stuff right now. I'm going to go on a vacation soon. Me, personally, uh, I'm going to go stay with Ranka for (laughs) a while, actually, which is fun. We will probably be recording something special during that time. So, Tamayomi will be coming out after I return, so it'll be a ways away. So, like, expect that to be, like, a month off. But we'll throw something together as, like, a fun bonus in the next couple of weeks to tide you over. So, look forward to that. When that comes out, I don't even know what it's going to be yet. We're going to decide. Anyways, for this episode, as always, we took our interstitial music from the Heat of Sketch soundtrack. Uh, First, in the middle, you heard track number 5, Ohio. And now, currently, we're enjoying track number 12, Matari Hidamariso. That's so fucking true. Uh, Hidamari, so true. Thank you for listening, and you'll hear from us soon. Bye!